and welcome to the Survivor Historians, the only Survivor podcast that is contractually obligated to use the term snot rocket. As always, I'm Mario Lanza. I'm Jay Fisher, and uh, it's it's really good to have uh, both 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 of you your legs here with new legs. And I'm Mike Bloom, and I wish this was a video podcast so I could flail my arms around and run into the ocean. <laughs> Uh, we are here to do part two of our uh, recap of Survivor Palau, a season that a lot of firsts, uh, a lot of unique things going on, and we're just about to plunge into some of the uh, most memorable parts of the season. So what Mario's trying to say is, if you caught part one of our Palau podcast, you know, that was the boring stuff, right? Yeah. I blame Eliza. That's good. It's good. You always <laughs> need to blame Eliza. Actually, no. Part one was, was really good, because Palau does start off. It's, it's a very unique start. I love the start. Uh, but you're right. It's it's very procedural. We've set up that Pagong or not Pagong <laughs> Oolong is a very losery sort of tribe. But we're really getting into the meat of this season. I mean, these this stretch of episodes, sort of in the middle here, is really good. And I would say that the first three, maybe four episodes, are when Oolong actually had hope. And now I think we're just going to see, especially with this first challenge, we're gonna, we're just going to see that dashed against the rocks for the next five or so episodes. Yeah, it was something I was going to bring up later. It gets depressing. Like, not dark. Dark isn't the right word. Just depressing. Like, sad. Like, like just very Charlie Brown in the football. Just one of those, oh. See, I would disagree. I think it's sad already. Well, yeah, yeah, but, like, now, like, they really pour it on. Because it's just even, like, the way Jeff talks at Tribal Council and stuff like that. Like, it's funny that it, it, it feels like Oolong almost gets meta within the season. How so? Okay. Well, like, you know, like, uh, we'll get to it, but, like, one of the last ones, I think it was the, the final uh, sort of tribal immunity, where it was just Steph and Bobby John, where, like, you know, he says, immunity, back up for grabs, Oolong, anyone can win it. <laughs> like, holy shit, Jeff, oh my god, dick moment and a half. I have to say we got some good feedback on our first one, because Katie Gallagher listened to it and said it was a pretty good recap, so uh, that's, that's high praise. Is that because we bashed Karen a sufficient amount of times? I don't know, but we're sure as hell going to bash Karen now that I know Katie listens to it. <laughs> <laughs> so, Karen, you're going down. Did, did Katie use any swear words to any of the three of us? Uh, she said something that was very tart, but I don't remember what it was. Oh, fantastic. My life is complete. Yes. And she, ma- she made a really nonsensical joke about Pringles that nobody got. Well, you know. <laughs> She's got to keep a- pushing that joke until somebody gets it. <laughs> Is, is she is she still like is like the, like her one bitter moment in Survivor? She didn't win the Pringles reward. I don't know. You're on you're on your own now, Jay. Oh no, I, that wasn't a joke. I was just saying, like, stop bad mouthing Katie. Katie is the goddamn best, and I will go on record as saying so. <laughs> All right, so now we've sufficiently ass kissed our one Survivor listener. Let's move on to episode five. This is a uh, we've gone through four episodes of futility over at Oolong. They just lost Kim. And uh, the dagger is about to be driven into their heart, which is ironic because it's actually a double boot episode. So you think it would be less of a dagger to their heart. But here we go. Uh, so the first thing we get in this episode is Mario's favorite part of Survivor, perspective romance. Wait a minute. No, the first part we get in this episode is where they recap uh, last episode and they change Angie's quote so she doesn't use the wrong word this time. Oh, yeah, true, true. <laughs> she says, we're not going back to tribal council, which is not what she said. We're not going funny. back to immunity. Yes. That's one thing I always remember that they fixed that in the recap at the start of episode five. 
Well, so anyway, I'm so, I'm so glad that that ground this podcast to a screeching halt. <laughs> let's let's try to pick it up from here on out. God damn it, Eliza! <laughs> All right, yeah. So perspective romance. Here we go. Now it's uh, Greg and Jen on the other on the Carors. That's really all I have to say about that. Yeah. Well, I, it's really funny because, you know, Boston Robin Amber obviously had, like, the romance uh, thing going on in, in Survivor All-Stars. Then you had Vanuatu, which was, like, women hate man and man is super clueless as to what's going on until Chris wins at the end. So, uh-huh. like, they didn't have, like, the ultimate romance thing going on. Are the producers, like, looking for it? Or are they just like, come on, guy, come on. And, and, and then earlier in the season, we have Jeff and Kim and everyone's like, no one gives a shit about that. <laughs> Yeah, well, yeah, I mean, I've heard rumors that there were romances on the early seasons that were just never shown on TV because it wasn't important. So I really do think the producers are just looking for it now. Like, anything that's even close, they're going to highlight. Well, yeah, let's also remember, again, going back to the end of All-Star, as much as we don't want to relive that nightmare, that the, the whole Romber engagement was giant, like, astronomical. I would say, like not necessarily close to what the finale produced in terms of water cooler talk, but like pretty up there, especially considering Survivor was eight seasons in. So clearly the producers want lightning to strike twice, but they're going to show us two of the most boring showman's <laughs> pairs ever this season. Yeah, Mike, Mike brings up a good point because you have to remember, you know, today Survivor, it still has a healthy audience. Um, it has a niche audience. It, it, it gets the ratings that it gets and it has the advertising that it has, but it, it is now, Survivor is now, uh, as as we were making this podcast, it is kind of fully compartmentalized into what it is. At the time, no Survivor All Stars and whatnot. It's it's not like it was at the height of water cooler talk and and viewership as you know the first three or so seasons were. But you have to remember the Robin Amber romance was so successful that not only was that a big water cooler talk, they then got their wedding televised. And then they got a reality show just about them being newlyweds and Rob trying to start a professional poker career on some uh, – I don't know what network it was, but one of those weird Channel 400 whatevers. And it's like that all came from Survivor. That doesn't, that doesn't even really seem conceivable now unless your name is Russell Hance. But it's like that's what happened back then. It was a big deal. And Jeff and Kim did not go quite as far. No, it really didn't. No. And that's super sad. <laughs> it's horrible. I cry myself to sleep over that every night that we never knew, found out what happened to Jeff and Kim. I know. And what's really funny is that they really kind of pitched this, this Jen and Greg angle. And it's like, it just seems like, yeah, they were, they were cuddle buddies, you know, in the you know, very spacious Karor shelter. But, you know, they, they both, whenever they were mentioned about it, they were like, yeah, we cuddle. Yeah. That's about it. And then after the season, that, that, that was about it. I mean, it was super disappointing in the long run. Yeah, to me, it's almost like it's just lazy storytelling. If you, if you watch Palau really closely, you'll notice that Jen almost never has a confessional. It's always Greg talking about what the two of them are going to do. So it's almost like they found a shortcut how they can do more storytelling just by having one character say what two people are going to do. Yeah, I would feel like this is the first season where there's a lot of, I'll use a, a sucks term here and talk about SPV, second person visual. I don't know what the V mm-hmm. stands for, but it's, it's sort of like they use it for a lot of boots where, you know, if there's a secondary boot, they won't even talk about it. It'll just be people saying, well, so-and-so hasn't really been pulling their weight around camp. And I think Jen is a huge example of that. We, we see a little bit of Jen in the post-merge, especially when it gets towards the end of her time when she comes in fourth. But I feel like especially for this pre-merge, it's a lot of Greg saying, well, Jen and I are going to do this. Jen and I are going to do that. Yeah. Yeah, they have to set up Greg because 
you know, Greg lasts a bit longer in this game. It's not like he's going home in these episodes that we're going to get to today. But really, as Karor keeps winning and as those dynamics sort of get fleshed out, Greg seems to be because, you know, Tom is our winner. And we obviously, we as we're watching this, we don't know this yet. But Tom, as we know, and, and Ian are kind of like the power two on Karor. And they try to set up foils for Tom along the way. And the two main foils that come up, one is Kobe and the other one is Greg. And so Greg is now going to get confessionals every once in a while where he's going to say, yeah, you know, maybe I need to do something. Yeah. So no, you know, I'd agree with that. Look, look for those along the way, folks. Yeah. And that's kind of the the unique narrative of the season. We've gone through four episodes and we have almost no character development of Karor up to this point. I mean, you have no idea what the dynamic is, really, other than Ian and Tom, Ian and Tom call the shots, and Jen and Greg are a couple, and the other people just kind of get don't get along under that. So that's the thing. Now, episode five, the season really kind of starts. Right, and I love these episodes, uh, going back and rewatching them, because most of the action is on Oolong, because Oolong is the one that, you know, stuff stuff is dynamically happening on Oolong, but we get over to Karor and there's very meaty scenes over at Karor. And as you said, the first four episodes, we really don't know a whole ton about Karor other than Karen's annoying and Kobe is not necessarily floating with everybody else as far as, you know, alliances go. But other than that, it's all very superficial stuff. But these episodes, there's some really good Karor scenes. So, you know, be on the lookout when, when you get to these episodes. Uh, especially as we as we ship to future episodes when it gets down to four, three, mm-hmm. two people on mm-hmm. Oolong, when there's really not much to show on them other than they're working really hard yeah. and they have to make <laughs> up a lot of weight because there's less people. Whereas like on Koror, they can be like, okay, let's finally show what's going on. Let's finally see what Kobe's dealing with and how Greg is kind of undermining Tom and Ian. So it's all, like you said, a lot of meaty stuff that will come up in, in these next few episodes. All right, so episode five, we have the uh, showmance between Jen and Greg, which may or may not have been an actual showmance. And then we have some scenes where Willard is doing nothing and being lazy just because they can set up the reason they're going to get rid of Willard uh, later. Right. Willard's GG is is very, very quick in in episode five, you know, where Tom basically is like, Willard, he he doesn't do much, and uh, I can't stand it. (laughs) Well... Tom just said you suck, Willard. I'm I'm really sorry. You're you're done. Tom Tom has said so. Well, the interesting thing is that uh, the reason that there, Willard is shown to go home based on the scene at night is because he doesn't put a stick in the fire. <laughs> Listen to Karen for crying out loud. You see the true wrath of what happens when you don't put a stick in the fire, like Tom tells you to. Oh God, I didn't even catch that. Well done. Well done, Temp. Thanks, Tim. Holy shit. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So we get to the reward challenge. This one jumps right into the reward challenge. This is the one where they have to dive down underwater and get those white sake bottles. Oh, wait, wait, wait. We have to. We, you skipped over Oolong getting lost. I don't think I really skipped over that. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it just suffice to say Oolong gets lost for those of you following along. <laughs> yeah, they were doing so well until episode five when they get lost. Okay, yeah, just, just to, to, to briefly catch everyone up on this, to the surprise, well, it should be to the surprise of no one. So if you're at home and you're surprised, shame on you. But Oolong Shelter sucks, and they live kind of under this cave that they found, and then they can't get back to their cave, and they can't really figure out how to get there. And basically, you get Angie's GG moment here, which is going to happen here, because Angie's just like, okay, we can't find the cave, I'm going to go back to the shelter, because even though it's porous and awful... I can maybe like stand in one spot and perhaps get dry. And then James basically says something that is going to be funny later. But James says, 
you know, Angie's just the person that just, she won't quit. She's done. You should never want to quit. Remember that quote? It's really funny later. Yeah, the, right. the interesting thing about James later on, and we'll talk about this during Tribal Council, is I think James now believes that the only reason his tribe is losing is a mental game. He believes that, like, he has, as Butch Lockley puts it, he wants to be- he wants them to believe in themselves. And I feel like for the next few episodes, James is going to be a champion of, like, we just got to believe. We can't quit. We can't falter. Clear hearts, bright eyes, can't lose. Wow, he's Coach Taylor. That's fantastic. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I, I just will say, again... James has some great stuff. I mean, I think one of Mario's best Funny 115 entries, sponsored by Funny115.com, one of his best entries is the James Miller Oracle thing. And all the things that Mario puts in there are so true and so funny. However, James has these like moments that aren't so oracleness, just just really ironic James moments. And one of them is kind of the self-fulfilling thing that happens in this episode. The first one being James saying, you can't, you can't ever quit. You can't be the one to quit. Remember this. Let's get to the challenge. All right, so this is one where uh, it's, it's, again, this is kind of the era of Survivor where they start throwing in stuff that I hate. And right here is one of the things that I absolutely drove me crazy at the time. The double tribal council for no reason. And we did it in Vanuatu for the first time. We do it in Palau here. I mean, it really it escalates the game along. I never liked it. I, even watching it now, it still annoys me that they do stuff like that. Well, you can't have 18 to 20 people play this game without having double tribals. I mean, come on, Mario. Jesus. I know. Uh, yeah, I mean, yeah. <laughs> why do you need 18 to 20 people? Never mind. I know there's a lot of people that understand the logic of the double tribal council, but they it, the show worked just fine without them for eight seasons, and I don't know why they had to start doing them. So do we know at this point how many episodes of Vanuatu the Palau cast had seen before going out there? Because the double tribal in Vanuatu happened in episode three, but these people seem pretty shocked that a double tribal council concept was even happening. I, I don't know well, how many episodes they saw before they got out there. Yeah, remember, 150 to 200 percent of the Palau cast were recruits, so I'm guessing they true. saw no episodes of Vanuatu. Ibrahim's like, "What's Tribal Council? What, 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 what's going? Where am I? Honestly, <laughs> like, what, what's been happening? I got on a plane and all of a sudden I'm here. <laughs> <laughs> what they shanghaied him and just threw him out there? <laughs> That'd be fantastic. <laughs> I like that. Just like they're on the boat and then they pull the bag off of Ibrahim's head. Huh. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so anyway, yeah, so this is one where both tribes are going to go to tribal council, but the winner of this challenge gets the the famous combination of stew and root beer, which I know is an old uh, classic my mom used to serve me all the time. (laughs) Uh, Beef stew and root beer. But also, and this is something that I find cool and something that, you know, I was thinking about this, and this is is one of the reasons why I like older seasons as compared to new seasons is – Part of the reward is not only do they get to win beef stew and root beer, but basically how it's going to work is because it's a double tribal, the winner of this challenge is going to have their tribal council, vote off their member, and then they're immediately going to go to the jury side of tribal council and eat this beef stew and drink root beer and watch the other person's tribal council. And Jeff Probst says you get to watch their tribal council. Information is key. And it's still very refreshing to go back and watch and see that Learning about the other tribe's dynamics and learning about, you know, how they're interacting as a tribe is still valued and is still important because you know today that if they did this thing, it would be like, well, you're both going to tribal council, but the winners are probably going to get a clue to an idol somewhere. Yeah. No, that, it is a really a badass reward that you get to watch the other tribe's tribal council. I love that. Especially in a season that really themes off of, like, two troops battling one another, you know, the art of, art of war and everything like that. I think it, it continues to, to – 
well, it's supposed to light the flame under the losing tribe and really make the rivalry <laughs> more fierce. But in Oolong's case, it just kind of rains on them even more. <laughs> yeah, it's like in uh, in uh, what is it, Marquesas, when they get to raid the other tribe's camp, and that's when Mata Amu wins. And they kind of get back into the game. They raid Rotu. This would be like if Rotu had won, would have decimated Mata Amu and, and raided them. Yeah. <laughs> So anyway, uh, stop me if you've heard this before, but Oolong gets out to an early lead in the challenge, and then somehow they biff it, and Koror wins. I mean, you know, I was shocked. Were you sh- I'm shocked. I was shocked. Although the one thing that's most shocking when you watch these challenges is how many people Koror has to sit out of these challenges now, where, like, half of their tribe is now sitting out. Yeah. <laughs> and, like, as we go further along, like, six out of eight people are sitting out of challenges. It starts to get kind of ridiculous. It gets fun when Jeff's like, don't tell me who's sitting out. Tell me who's playing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, so Karor wins. Although it, it is very exciting at the end where Ian has that battle against Stephanie kind of at the very end, where Stephanie kind of almost catches up for uh, Oolong. Yeah, I mean, basically, it... Uh... I'm not sure in I'm trying to remember in, in the earlier challenges if there's one person that really blows it for Oolong. This might be the first time that one singular individual really biffed the challenge for Oolong. And in this case, it is Ibrahim. He can't find any bottle and he ends up having to get pulled back uh, without anything, which ends up like screwing Oolong over. Though, again, as you said, Steph tries to catch up in the end. Yeah, I mean, again, say what you want about Stephanie here. Challenge performance isn't really overrated i mean people say oh she was so overrated in palau but she really does a great job in some of these challenges this is one of them you want i mean it's the ironic thing it's like for challenges you want stephanie on your tribe and in in a lot of ways you want bobby john on your tribe just because bobby john is a workhorse right Uh but so so it's what's funny is that like the two poster children for oolong the losingest most horrible tribe in survivor history are two people that actually seem like very good tribe mates Uh, arguably I wouldn't say they're the best. It's not like yeah. if, if you had a draft now where I'm like, pick a tribe mate, it'd be like, ooh, Bobby John, yeah. No, it's, it's, so, it's sort of like in the Kingdom of the Blind, the one-eyed man is king. Like, right. oh, well, we have this group of people. I'll get, these two are probably the best out of the bunch, even though at most they're like C-minus players. Right. Yeah, it's, it's hard to reconcile the Stephanie thing with Guatemala, but I guess we'll get to that later. Oh, we'll, we'll get to that later, and it'll be yeah. super fun to kind of shit on Stephanie. But yeah, Ibrahim blows this challenge. And what's funny then is that when they get back, um, to to the camp, you know, J- James is hashing it out with Ibrahim, right? You know about the challenge, and 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 James then says in a confessional, says, you know, if he couldn't get a bottle, you know, he should have just quit <laughs> and given up. And I was like, wait a minute, James, I thought ten minutes ago you were telling the camera you should never quit. And then he's <laughs> like, you know, the the honorable thing for him to do is just quit and say, I give up, I can't get one, and come back to shore. And I'm like, James. That's 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 not what you said. <laughs> Never give up unless it directly gets in the way of me winning. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Only give up if you're from one of the pagan religions that James doesn't respect. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, that that just cracked me up when I was rewatching that. I was like, oh, James, you're so fun. I love I love when he says he sets it all up, you know, at the challenge. We had it in the bag and then. Ibrahim. <laughs> like it sets up like this giant event happened, but it was just Ibrahim. <laughs> this is the most discussion about Ibrahim that's ever been on the Survivor podcast ever. I'm pretty sure we talked about him for more time than he was shown on screen. <laughs> All right. So anyway, Oolong loses and the vote is going to come down to Angie versus Ibrahim tonight. 
It's tough because at the time I remember very rooting very hard for Angie. I don't know. I bought her story early in the first couple episodes of the, you know, because she was tied with Kobe and then Kobe doesn't pick her for Karor. And, and she sort of gets over it. So, so Angie is our ultimate underdog. And so this, this episode, you know, it's Angie versus Ibrahim. And we've just watched Ibrahim completely biff this challenge. And so I just remember rooting very hard for Angie. But, you know, it's not going to go well. You know what's funny is it's a lot of people watch these or uh, wa- listen to this podcast as they rewatch the season. But if you, they haven't watched Palau in like a couple of years, right now they're thinking in the top of their heads, who the hell were Angie and Ibrahim? <laughs> they probably don't remember. <laughs> so here we are talking about characters. You have no idea who they are unless you've watched the season recently. I think Angie was was great. I mean, there's a lot of people on Oolong that – you know. I don't know. The survivor community is very fun and eclectic and, and, and they tend to sometimes people sort of latch on players that, that don't last very long. And we're like, you know, in other games or in other situations, they may have done well. And that may, may or may not be true. I mean, we, a lot of times, honestly, we don't know, but I mean, I feel like Angie, you know, if she was on another season, another tribe, maybe Angie does well, not wins the game or anything. I'm not saying that, but you know, it was really kind of unfortunate that Angie is going to get saddled with the Oolong curse here. Ibrahim's another story, but 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 Angie, I feel bad. She 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 didn't have a great run here. Yeah, and it shows yeah. some definite skill on her part that she went from the last picked on her tribe and one of the vote targets in the very first, you know, is her or Jolanda in the first episode to winning and helping win a couple challenges for their tribe, getting really close with Steph and like getting getting some really good respect from a lot of the male tribe members. That was that was not an easy thing to do within two weeks. So you have to give kudos to Angie for that. But what's funny is that really it seems like they want to vote out Ibrahim. And uh, that's that's important to note because uh, do we, we, we go over to Karor now before Tribal Council and uh, – well, Willard knows he's going. <laughs> yeah, it, Willard literally puts it as if, like, it's it, you can't fight gravity and you can't change the tide. You can't change the fact that I'm going home. It's very refreshing to know that uh, that there's somebody, you know, we never know what goes on behind the scenes, you know, at a tribe. But it, it's funny to note when, you know, I don't know if if Willard tried to you know, change people's minds or if he just saw that he was going, you never know. Cause Willard obviously is very smart and he's very cerebral, but, um, you know, it's, it's like he knew he was going home or knew that he was sort of on the chopping block. And then it, it just seemed like he, he, maybe he fought a little bit, but he just, he was cool. He did. He didn't really fight it much. He was like, yeah, I'm going home. I it think was- it's good. Willard is a really interesting character as well, and I wish we had seen more of Willard because what we had seen on him was, as you said in a previous episode, Mario, he's just a very astute person, and all the predictions and analysis that he has of his tribe are correct. And there's even a story that I, I think he's a lawyer in real life, but he told everyone in Karor that he was a mailman yep. to appear non-threatening. So I would have loved to see more of this Willard game because he was clearly a very intelligent person. It just sucks that he was taken away too early. Yeah, there's a, a lot of great stories out there about what stuff Willard did that never made it on camera. I know there's one someone said that he faked heat stroke at a certain point just so he could get some water. Yeah. He, so, he, so that's a Willard move. He, the thing is, is that Willard is super smart. And what's fun is that super smart people, it can go several ways because everyone's like, oh, I'm really smart. I can win Survivor. And it's like sometimes if you're smart and you have the information, like I think Willard read the whole tribe and read that they wanted to vote him out. 
And it's like, we don't know because we didn't get a lot of time over there in Karor. We don't know if Willard tried to actively politic and, you know, try to get the votes to switch another way or if he just read that everyone wanted to vote him out. And he's like, well, seven people want me out. I'm going. Because I also believe that, too. Mm-hmm. And I find the the whole, like, Tom Tom's rationale in this episode is kind of bullshit. Or at least the, the, <laughs> stuff that he, the stuff that he's throwing out there. Like, he's trying to convince everyone, like, we should vote out Willard because when it gets to the individual challengers, he's just going to smoke us. And he's dragging the, he's purposely dragging the tribe down. Like, you could just say he's weak in challenges, Tom, and then vote him out. There really doesn't need to be any sort of, like, late game uh, mind he's, plays going on here. He's purposely dragging the tribe down to our undefeated immunity win streak. Exactly. <laughs> what an asshole. I mean, <laughs> we've, we barely won some of those challenges. <laughs> All right, so right before we get to tribal council, this is where Kobe makes his secret alliance with Greg, right? Mm-hmm. Yes. Good scene. Okay. Yeah, this is kind of an important scene, and this is really... If you watch the show at the time, people, you watch it now in retrospect and you say, well, it was obvious Tom was going to win. But if had you watched it at the time, this is kind of the storyline that I think most people thought was going to work out. The secret Final Four alliance. There's Greg, Kobe, uh, who else? Janu and Jen. Yeah. And it kind of comes up here where Greg is in with Tom and Ian, but he's making the side alliance with Kobe that once they get to further down in the game, they're going to take out Tom and Ian. So this is where that all kind of gets set up. And again, this is why it was not an obvious win for Tom at the time. You really thought this other sub-alliance was going to work out because it gets a lot of camera time along the way. That and also the fact uh, that I think that, you know, because Tom, you know, he was a very positive winner in a lot of ways, but there was a lot of, there not a lot, but there was this very... There was almost a minority, but there was a very strong backlash against Tom. Yeah, still is to this day. And still is to this day. And I think that one of the reasons is just the – I don't even think it's an editing flaw or a fault per se. But it's just this fact that we see this sort of how how is Tom not going to win, right? And we see that this Kobe and Greg are sort of starting this, you know, Tom is a threat. We need to get Tom out. And it's going to be all this sort of stuff that isn't ultimately going to pan out. And I think people were disappointed that none of it – panned out you know what i mean it does seem as you're watching it that greg is the main character for a lot of the second half of the season yeah and it's interesting and i think greg has a very good play here he's kind of pulling from the uh the rob sester you know amazon's uh playbook of you know trying to maintain yourself as a swing vote between two alliances especially in the pre-merge phase and i think greg does a nice job of setting himself and jen up uh between the quote-unquote cool kids alliance of Tom, Ian, and Katie, and then the outcasts, which end up being, uh, you know, Kobe, Janu, what ends up being Willard, though he goes home. And a little, Karen is kind of like, Karen's interesting because she's technically an outcast, but she's like right in Tom's pocket, so she probably considers herself one of the cool kids. But Greg, like, Greg is ready to go, I feel like, for the merge. And it's, uh, I would have loved to see, you know, obviously we, we would have loved to see what would have happened if Karor went to a few pre-merged tribal councils, but I would have loved to see, you know, if, if Karor went to tribal council two more times, what would have happened? Basically, Karen's the worst. Go on. I was going to say, it's interesting what Mike just said there, that Greg has set him and Jen up as this sub-alliance, which again is just, that's the storytelling, that Greg does things and Jen just goes along with him, which you know is total bullshit. Like, she was probably right there with every decision he made. And they were, weren't in necessarily thinking as two people. They were two independence people thinking at the same thing. But again, it's just lazy storytelling that they portray it as, oh, Greg does this and Jen comes with him, which I just want to point that out. So anyway, Karor then gets to Tribal Council, and it's a very 
I mean, even though, you know, the first part of Palau is Karor dominating and basically conquering Oolong. And they have to go to this one tribal council because they couldn't avoid it. It was a double tribal council episode. But even this, you know, we're starting to set up, as Mario and Mike have pointed out, you know, we've gotten now this Greg and Kobe talk and this sort of secret alliance. We've, we're starting to see sort of the uh, alliances and how things are shaping up in Karor. But even so, this is a very straightforward tribal council. It's very by the book. It's all very good. And I mean, they vote Willard out all unanimously and Willard turns around and says, you know, play hard, stick to the plan, wipe them out. Finish them off. Finish them off. That's it. And I mean, you're just like, Willard, you're the best. Mm-hmm. Wait, you know, you know, I don't know if a lot of people know this, what he's referring to there. A lot of people think that he's uh, telling them to finish off Oolong. But I know in interviews after the season, Willard came out and said, no, I was actually telling Greg and Kobe to finish off Tom and Ian. <laughs> So you think he's saying one thing. He's actually speaking to his sub-alliance saying, stick to the plan, finish them off. So he's really talking to, I think, Greg, Jen, and Kobe there. Yeah, I don't, I don't know what the finish them off plan would be like with Oolong. Like, stick to the plan, win the immunity challenges, that, yeah. uh, that, that plan we invested so much time into. <laughs> now that I'm not here, maybe you'll win by more. <laughs> exactly. I was holding you back. I just know it. Especially those challenges that I sat out. Like, I could have sat out better. Maybe I could have been, like, you know, like in the NBA and, like, waved a towel and, you know, did a bunch of stuff. Especially um, this, when you hit a three-pointer. Like, woo! This, this tribal council is also really interesting because, obviously, it's the first one that Karor goes to. And it's the first where we get to see Tom in tribal council. And I didn't catch this on my first watch, but after rewatching it, it's, it's really interesting to watch Tom perform at tribal council because he is so incredibly diplomatic. Uh, and and so about like casting the blame away from him. I know that in this episode, uh, they you know they he's basically seen as like the leader in challenges, but he tries to concoct the story about how like he wants he wanted to fade into the background initially, but then he was thrust into the leadership position when the when the tribe was outmanned, and you know he was forced into the position. So it's interesting to see as they go through the tribal councils, especially in the post merge, how Tom like crafts his own narrative and essentially tries to to be as neutral as possible. Interesting. No, it's a you're, good point. you're exactly right because and, – and Tom has said, and I, I, whether it's a, a theory he crafted on the fly or it was something that he thought of going in. I mean I think he even said he, – he said I wanted to just be that – the single dad or you know, the, the older dad you know, guy and I'm, it, he, I, th- I think he wanted to sort of downplay – in a weird way he was thinking that he wanted to come into this game and what downplay physical dominance and all that sort of stuff but – because the tribe was just, you know, genetically inferior in some way, he had to then step up, which seems stupid ridiculous. But at the same time, you know, everyone that plays Survivor comes in with a plan. And sometimes you're able to execute it, and sometimes you're, able, you're not able to. And sometimes you come up with new plans. So who knows? And with that, we say goodbye to the Fresh Prince. Goodbye, Willard Smith. <laughs> but uh, but the immunity idol will not leave. So we at least have one likeness of Willard left in the game. It's like he's gone, but never forgotten, and and not really off our screens either, because the immunity Willard <laughs> is is with us. Uh, so okay, so we <clears throat> we lose Willard. We have our first Karor casualty, and now they switch over to the other side, and they get their delicious combination of stew and root beer. I love the fact that before and earlier in the episode, Kobe like. Actually, kind of like, you know, he's not, he's not exactly gentle about it. He cautions Karor against 
celebrating too much and, you know, whooping and hollering when they get their stew because they know how disappointed Oolong must be. But that goes out the window as soon as the stew comes up. I mean, Kobe is like orgasming when he sees that (laughs) stew. So they orgasm over the stew, but the root beer gets no response. The biscuits, the biscuits are the ones that get Ian going. Okay. And this is where I was going to say, this is where the season kind of gets not fun because Angie comes out, she sees that stew and root beer and she starts crying. And I'm like, okay, this is really not fun now. Well, it, it, it's it's pretty. I mean, that is that is something else to have them just eating in front of them like that. I mean, that is that is one thing. I will say to Kobe's credit, how long ago was Paul? It was a really long time ago, and even not so recently on his Facebook, he posted because apparently Kobe said that that beef stew was one like the best beef stew he's ever had in his life, and it's like partially I think because the stew was good, but also because they were freaking starving out there. <laughs> so you know, anything tastes good at that point, but. You know, during, you know, afterwards or whatnot, he asked one of the production members, could he have the recipe to that beef stew recipe, to that beef stew? And uh, they gave it to him. And he posted that recipe on, uh, like, on a picture on his Facebook. And it was just like, when you read, when you read the, when I read the recipe, I was like, well, no wonder that beef stew was delicious. Like, it was just this gigantic pot. And they literally took, like, you know, carrots and celery and potato and onion, and they literally like cook it down in for like a day or whatever until it gets into like just this mush. And then they like then add the meat and the wa- more water and all that sort of stuff. So they start out with just like this cooked down awesomeness and then make this more awesomeness. So, I mean, apparently the beef stew was really good. And, and, and so Kobe's orgasm on screen apparently was warranted. For those of you uh, keeping track at home, that was Jay doing his Helen Glover impression on Survivor Historians. <laughs> I was going to say, so between the recipe for Kobe's beef stew and Helen's, uh, was it like fudge nut bars, our listeners can now make like a Survivor-themed meal. <laughs> I sure hope Angie isn't listening to this podcast. When she heard that recipe, she started crying again. She's going to cry. You know, it, <laughs> it, it was tough. I, I mean, I liked the response from Stephanie where, you know, Jeff's like, you know, Jeff's trying to be like, hey, is it tough to watch him eat? You know, or whatever. And <laughs> <laughs> thanks jeff being very diplomatic but i mean stephanie's like i don't even know who's voted out over there i'm not even looking and you're like racket well she didn't say that yet but you know <laughs> steph was upset and and angie was crying and and you know uh, james i mean some of them were trying to be diplomatic like look it's whatever let's let, let's move on ironically the meat used in that stew was filet mignon and she later used that on her pizza that's right she was the ideas were crafting right the there. The beef stew pizza. <laughs> that sounds so gross. <laughs> God damn it, Eliza. I don't know why Eliza always uh, thread jacks the podcast here. All right. So anyway, this is where we go to the uh, Oolong Tribal Council. And I just wrote in my notes, the season is just officially a Greek cra- tragedy now. It's just not fun. We're just going to revel in their pain, basically. Yeah, it's tough because, you know, some of them are expressing, you know, just anger. But what's funny is that, you know, Jeff, right off the bat, they came in with their shovels and axes. And Jeff points it out. It's like, you brought your Home Depot box. You brought all your shovels and axes. Why? And Bobby John's like, well, sir, I don't know. We don't know what's going to happen. Perhaps, perhaps we merge tonight, Jeff Probst. I do not know. <laughs> and Jeff Probst is looking at him with just that shit-eating grin. And he's like, well, we're not merging. You're going to have to lug it all back. Hell no. <laughs> I would I would have loved to see what happens if Jess said they were merging just to watch Bobby John go ape shit at Tribal Council. <laughs> <laughs> he's smashing up like all the benches in the set like he's vanilla ice on VH1. Throw, throwing oh God, poles around. <laughs> yeah. 
Vanilla, that, no. That, right. that obscure Vanilla Ice trashing the VH1 set. Yeah, from uh, from the surreal life, like, all-star competition show. <laughs> okay, so we lose. Oh, wait, no, this is where we get the twist, where Oolong has their whole tribal council, and then Jeff says, oh, by the way, Karor, you can assign immunity to one person on Oolong and just fuck them up even more. And this was so smart by Karor, because, you know, the whole tribal council... Other than them complaining about the beef stew, they were talking about how Ibrahim biffed the challenge, right? And then so Karor picks, and, and their votes are all over the place, because Karor gets to choose, get, give an Oolong member temporary immunity for just this one vote. And enough of them vote for Ibrahim, which I just thought was like, that's so brilliant, because they literally just vo- they voted for somebody that they saw was possibly in trouble. Like, you know, I think that Ibrahim was going to go home had they not... Um, thrown all the votes or had he not gotten this immunity from Koror. But regardless, he's one of the people that's in danger and they sensed that. And that's why they voted for him or the majority of them did. That's so smart to just throw a wrench in their plans. But I'm also, I'm also wondering with the whole like Tom, Ian, Katie, Steph supposed alliance, why I think uh, Ian was the only one to vote for Steph. So I'm wondering like why they decided to just scatter their votes elsewhere. Well, I don't think they got much time to talk about it. First of all, and it's, you know, when you, Probably when they were looking at that tribal council, it didn't seem like Steph was in danger. Yeah. I mean, they don't know for sure, obviously. I mean, people keep their cards close to their vest. And I agree with you. It is, it is interesting that Tom, Ian, and Katie didn't just automatically throw their votes on Steph because they had this alliance or whatever. But it, it seemed like in that tribal council, it seemed like Angie was upset and saying, I might go home. And you know, then they were all like, yeah, and Ibrahim messed up the challenge. We would be having stew right now if it weren't for Ibrahim. And so, it, you know, if, if I'm over there watching that, I'm like, well, it's probably Angie or Ibrahim going home. So I'm going to vote for one of them and see if it ruins their day. And again, for those of you playing along at home, if you haven't watched Palau in a, in a while, yes, there was once a subplot based around the concept of save Ibrahim. <laughs> and no one remembers that if you haven't watched this season lately. So with Ibrahim immune, it also throws a wrench in Oolong's plans and Oolong is the only tribe that will actually have a tie vote when there is an odd number of people left. Oh my god, this tribe is such a train wreck. They are a train wreck through and through. They're a train wreck in challenges, they're a train wreck in camp life, they're a train wreck at tribal council. It is just bad all around. Granted, in in their defense, I mean, I think they were going to vote Ibrahim off and then he suddenly is immune and and they, they it's not like they have a lot of time to sort of, you know, regroup and discuss, but still it, the votes come down and it's what, you know, two for or was it like It's three, like Bobby John versus Angie. It was yeah. it was Bobby John, Angie and then James got a vote. Where does that Bobby John vote come from? I mean, he was like he's their hardest worker and he kicks ass in the challenges. I don't Mul- get multiple that. Bobby John votes. Yeah. I just don't get how he was almost voted out in this episode. Yeah, and it's weird, especially because I think Steph and Angie are the two to to join up and, and try to vote out Bobby John. But then Steph just immediately latches on to Bobby John saying, like, OK, we're a final two now. <laughs> well, which is a good move. But yeah, yeah, Steph and Steph and votes for Bobby John. And then once it's a tie and then they have to vote and they have to choose between Angie and Bobby John, it's like, well, Angie, sorry. <laughs> yeah. They all just were like, oh, crap, we can't lose Bobby John. So they they vote out Angie. It's too bad. She, I mean, she had a pretty good story arc for a minor character that really had no effect on the season whatsoever. But she really did have a arc where she was disrespected. She proved herself. She got respect. And that was really her story. So, But again, you look at it in the big picture. She got screwed the entire season. And it just was bad luck right from day one. So 
I guess a very fitting end for a a minor character, but one that I think is pretty fun for the limited screen time she had. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't know if if she's going to do better in another season, and that's not necessarily what I'm saying. But with the limited time that she was on Survivor Palau, she had an interesting story arc around her, and she seemed to have some spark of life within her. So it seems like if you placed her on another season, she might still have some interesting things to contribute. And she never went back to immunity again. That's she, right. She never went to immunity once, actually. <laughs> uh. All right, so we're jumping ahead to episode six, and I'm already uh, pouring a malt liquor on the ground prematurely because we're about to lose one of my favorite little minor survivor characters. This is the James Miller episode. You ain't lying. Hell yeah. You Come know. on. Come on. <laughs> so we start off this episode with just a wonderful James moment. I don't know how many people caught this, but... <laughs> they go back to camp after tribal council <laughs> and Stephanie gives a speech. Yes. 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 This is the yes, best. Like, yes, yes. 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 Guys, we need to listen to each other. We need to. And James interrupts. interrupts her. Her. Yes. We need to listen to each other as he talks right over her, which is such an awesome James moment. Oh it's stuff God. like that. That is like, that's what makes me love survivor editing so much is that they put that in there. Like, yes, that's an honest to God thing that happened, but I love that they show that to us. Cause it, it again, reinforces that Oolong is terrible. But it's just the it's just the problem with that tribe, right? Like Stephanie's saying something, and yeah, it's not like Stephanie's saying anything like super profound. But you know, she's saying we need to communicate and listen to each other in challenges. It's like it's not bad advice. It's you know, yeah. I, I I guess you should probably do it. But what's great is that she says it, and then James interrupts her and reinforces it. It's just so good. My daughter in uh, her English class the other day in high school, they were working on verbal irony. They needed examples of what verbal irony is, and I said, "Watch this scene from Survivor. This would be a fun one to do." Uh, it's it's fantastic, but then James moves on immediately to just just laying into Ibrahim because he's clearly <laughs> pissed that he didn't vote him off, and now he's just like letting him have it. He said, you, to- "You better not mess up another challenge." Yeah. Again, kids, note this because it's going to be funny later. <laughs> we need to listen to each other and support one another, and fuck you, Ibrahim. <laughs> yeah. Well, and then he's getting on him about, you know, you know, you really messed up that challenge and you really didn't have your head in the game. And I mean, you cost us a lot and you better not do it in the future. Kids, remember that going on in this episode. <laughs> and then surprisingly, Bobby John is actually the voice of reason in this scene where he's like a customer confessional about like what he's really concerned about why his tribe is so miffed about them not having beef stew. He's basically like a, a grow up confessional. Wow. Bobby John was probably like, well, sir. My tribe was really laying into Ibrahim, and I'm not about that. You can't get over beef stew. I love Bobby John because he's so quiet and he's so reserved, and yeah. yet then he just dials it up immediately to 11 whenever you know something goes along. The rage. It's when the rage comes out. All right, so this is there's a, actually a really nice scene here in this. Uh, this is where we have Ibrahim kind of feeling all alone and isolated, and he goes out and on his prayer mat and prays to Allah in the morning. Which I think is actually a nice little scene. I kind of like Ibrahim. He seems like a nice guy when you see some of his scenes. He seems nice. He seems genuine. I mean, he doesn't seem like he's cut out to play Survivor. Yeah. But, you know, he, he seems like someone where you could sit down and have a conversation with and you could get something out of it. Yeah. All right. So what, what do we got here? We go uh, we back to going over to Karor, and this is where people are complaining about Katie not doing any work. Yeah, it's uh, everyone. Everyone's it's uh, everyone's has new uh, imbibed with new spirit now that they had the beef, the the orgasmic beef stew, and now it's uh, it's work day except for Katie, where apparently it's craft day, where she's making uh, Zoe 
esque necklaces and headbands. She didn't clean. She didn't catch any fish. She didn't get any water. But she made everyone jewelry. She's only here to entertain, in the immortal words of Karen. Yeah, this, this is. It's interesting. It feels like with a lot of these pre merge episodes, it alternates between not showing Katie well and not showing Karen well. And this is an episode where it doesn't show Katie well. Like, they even have Katie in a confessional saying, like, well, Survivor's not as hard as I thought it would be, <laughs> which is like, I, in 10 seasons, we have never seen a confessional like that, ever. Right, they keep reinforcing this game is so hard, it's so draining, everything is so difficult, and I'm really trying to get through, and then Katie gets on there and says, I really thought this would be harder. <laughs> but she does have time to put on a puppet show. That was uh, fantastic, by the way. That's a great one. I'm Bobby John, I love everyone, and I look like Jesus Christ. <laughs> Which I feel is important. I mean, it's tough because you're in a survival situation. And yeah, there are chores to do. You need to go gather the water and boil the water and keep the fire going and you know get firewood. I mean, I know that if you're in this situation and you're just trying to make it through every day on, on a deserted island somewhere, you have a lot of chores to do. And if Katie's not doing any of those things, I can understand some of the ire going her way. But there is something to be said for, you know, because Karen's like, oh, well, she sings and she entertains, but... You know, that's just whatever. And I'm like, eh, it's not whatever. That morale is important. Yeah, and I don't think Kara is necessarily contributing to the morale factor. She's not, like, <laughs> playing a guitar, leading campfire <laughs> songs or anything. So anyway, this is where uh, Katie goes to get the tree mail. And we're going to go back to the joke we alluded to earlier where Katie gets the tree mail and she comes back to camp and says, Hey, guys, we're going to play for something that starts with a P and ends in an L. And they're like, what the fuck? And she's like, Pringle! <laughs> so there you go. There's your Katie quote for the day. The joke that didn't quite land. I love. I, what... I, I would have said Popsicle, personally. <laughs> I, I love the, um, like, at this point, there's an embarrassment of riches at Karor. And I love, it's kind of like one of those things I, I imagine, like, super hoity-toity rich people do. Where, like, she's like, Pringle, we got a Pringle. And, like, they're all just the camp. They're all just like, oh, Pringle. That's cool. And it's like later on, whenever they get like tree mail or something happens and you just, you just see a picture of them at their like, you know, spacious palatial, uh, you know, hut that was built for them by production. They're just kind of like, Oh, that's cool. Meanwhile, Oolong was probably like hoarding over that Pringle, dividing it up into (laughs) four pieces, you know? And they're just like, Oh my God, it's like manna from heaven. And over in Koror, they're like, Whoa, Pringle. That's, that's neat. (laughs) Feed it to the fish. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, you have to use this to catch the bigger Pringle. <laughs> now, this is, again, an awesome uh, throwback that, that, that we all mentioned uh, in, the, in the first podcast of Survivor Palau, which is this is just an incredible theme to the season. They get the, the old, like, the old replica machine gun and they're going to shoot tiles. Like, that's so cool. Yeah, it's really, again, it's perfect for the theme, and it's just a unique little uh, challenge I've never seen in another season. I mean, they kind of did that in Pearl Islands with the cannons, but this is this is a fully automated 50 caliber small-class cannon. And, and, and for those scoring at home, we've talked in previous uh, Survivor Historian podcasts, some pre-Mike Bloom, which I know is hard to fathom, because <laughs> Mike Bloom, you're just the most amazing person ever. But Wait, there was, there was a Survivor Historians pre-Mike Bloom? <laughs> shut up, Temp. So what I'm saying is... <laughs> You know, there were some, you know, and I, I will go so far as to say that I think that, you know, some, especially the uh, that one reward in Survivor Africa with the Maasai Mara is just got to be one of the most 
incredible rewards ever. You know, the one at the volcano last last season on Survivor Vanuatu is not bad. This one is pretty awesome. I'd rank it up there. Like, okay, they win Pringles and Mai Tais, whatever. But they get to go out to that jellyfish lake and swim among the jellyfish that can't sting you? Like, are you kidding me? Yeah. This is maybe my all-time favorite Survivor reward. Where that's they so good. Go oh, to a place amazing. that starts with J and ends with ache. Jellyfish Lake! <laughs> oh, I thought we were going to Jake, Jake Billingsley's house. Hey, are you guys athletic? <laughs> that sounds almost erotic. Erotic. <laughs> but yeah, again, this is one of my absolute favorite rewards of any season in Survivor. When I was watching it the other day, I had to bring my kids in the room to watch it. They couldn't give a shit about Survivor for the most part. But I'm like, look at this lake. Someday we'll go to this jellyfish lake. Look how awesome that is. So yeah, this is the one. Again, they just get Pringles and Mai Tais, nothing fantastic, but that lake. That is the key to this episode and this reward, and it's really cool. So anyway, uh, not not to harp too much on the challenge, but basically they have to shoot these tiles with this uh, replica 50 cal gun, and it kind of shoots this pellet out, and they get to you know break tiles. And, and uh, the, James isn't very good with it. <laughs> no. yep. James, you shoot a lot of guns? Yeah. Yeah. James, you are over today. You ain't lying. You I'm ain't lying. Yeah, I'm dogging it today. <laughs> That's the best you ain't lying the whole time. Yeah. James, you are over. You ain't lying. Yeah, I don't get why. You think James would have fired a gun in his life? Yeah, the sights were not good, but Stephanie is 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 Eagle Eyes Malone over there on uh on Oolong and you know, it basically comes down to a to a tie. Stephanie gets the uh gets the final one off and then uh is it Tom that misses at the end? Yeah. Yeah, it's Tom that misses. Yeah, let's again, one more exhibit when people say Stephanie was overrated in challenges. She kicks absolute ass in this challenge. Yeah. She 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 drives it home and Oolong, you know, a rare win and it's for reward, but hey, Jake Billingsley Memorial, the athletic tribe <laughs> gets the win. Yes. Uh it's it's weird though. They I think it's just because they're so down on their luck and probably exhausted, but they do not seem as excited as they should be at all. <laughs> I mean, I remember these the first couple of reward wins when they had Bobby John was pounding his chest, everybody was screaming, it was great. Now they're like thrusting their hands up in the air. Yay, we did it. <laughs> they're probably like, Jeff, I know Pringles and Mai Tai, but can you throw in a steak sandwich, please? <laughs> <laughs> Could you throw and build us a shelter, please, like you did yeah. with the other tribe? Is there uh, some of those beef stew leave-ins from last <laughs> night? Like, I'll eat those. You, you get a Mai Tai, you get Pringles, and you get Tom and Ian. That's your reward. <laughs> well, I, in the producer's defense, the Pringles do have survivor trivia questions on them. They do, and half the answers are Rupert. Well, again, if, if you watch, what's interesting when I was watching this challenge, this reward, Stephanie answers every trivia question right. Like, you wouldn't peg Stephanie as being, being, being this big super fan, but she apparently she knows all her Survivor trivia. Yeah, and it's odd that, I, I mean, it's weird that, I mean, they're not exactly like, you know, basic Survivor trivia questions. I mean, the first one that we hear is, which Survivor, Pearl Islands Castaway, has a daughter named Mariah? And Rupert's a pretty good answer, but I wouldn't, like, pick off the top of my head, like, every all the information I know about Rupert, his daughter's names. Yeah, by the way, before we get 100 letters, it's not Mariah. <laughs> oh! Is it, was it Myra? I, I don't someone, know. Someone better know that. Someone call Stephanie. <laughs> it's not Mariah. We, I just don't want to get 100 letters. Yeah. Whatever. This is, this is why we miss Paul. Again, <laughs> this is like, okay, the game Trivial Pursuit, right? It, it's gone through all these 
you know, different the, – the Genesis editions gone through all these different versions where they've updated trivia questions. And it's really funny because my parents still have like the original Trivial Pursuit Genesis edition at home. And it's funny because like a lot of the answers are Siam, which doesn't even exist as a country in real life anymore. And it, it, what's funny is that like in one of the categories, I think one of the, the history categories, Richard Nixon is literally half the answers. It's like, which politician, blah, blah, blah. The answer is Richard Nixon. Just guess Richard Nixon. You might get the question right. Like, that's what I've learned in playing that old, old version with my parents. And I, I feel with these Pringles, like, Rupert is literally half the answers. Rupert is the Richard Nixon of Survivor <laughs> at this point. Yes. Which Survivor? Rupert. Oh, you got it right. Oh, eat the Pringle. <laughs> which Survivor had to quit the game after leaked tapes were, were found by production? Not good. <laughs> Not good. <laughs> So many Democrats and death. I think his daughter's name is Rhea. I just looked it up. Oh, okay. I just don't want, again, we're going to get nailed on that one. We're the Survivor Historians. Sorry, guys. I I don't know why I put Mariah in there. Yeah. Sorry, Paul. Send all all hate mail to Mike Bloom. Exactly. Temp at (laughs) SurvivorHistorians.com. Well, I have my own um, account now. Yay. (laughs) I'm sorry. Old, the old temp. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So anyway, well... Well, the Oolongs are off uh, doing their uh, Pringle and Trivia and Jellyfish Lake. This is where there's the big storm back at camp, and this is where Janu starts to break down, which will have ramifications later. So but, it's interesting that, like, besides this episode and her quit episode, we see nothing of Janu the entire season. So this is like a moment where everyone's like, oh, yeah, Janu's there. I forgot. Yeah, but, well, but yeah, the she, best thing about Janu breaking down is we get Katie's in, in, impression of Janu breaking down. <laughs> yeah. Which is a facial expression. We can't really repeat it on this on this audio podcast medium, but go back and watch it. Katie's the best. And a great quote from Katie here. Everything is always dramatic with Janu, and I thought I was the drama queen. Katie is so cutting in all of her <laughs> uh in all of her interviews. Like she's sort of to the point. And you know, sometimes the point isn't positive, but she doesn't care. She's gonna tell you how it is, and that's what I love. Very tart. I love I love Tom's like half-hearted pitch to Janu of like, you're going to make the merge, you're going to make the jury, and if all of us aren't careful, you're going to win this game. Like, Tom, you clearly do not believe that. <laughs> yeah. But we are, we are going to be careful. I just want to point that out. <laughs> yeah, but in, in another way, though, I think that it was a very good, you know, because Willard pointed it out, you know, episodes before, that Tom and Ian are very positive and they say good things. Like, he's not just saying, oh, well... You know, because a lot of people then I think are like, okay, I'm going to be very positive and say a nice thing. And then they can go out and say the wrong thing. Like, it's not just one thing to go out there and try to be positive and and say nice compliments. But you sort of have to make it sound good. And I mean, Tom does say, because Janu's just like, I'm so tired. I don't have it. I don't think I can make it. And Tom says, I admit it. You don't have it today. (laughs) But you're going to have it in the future. And to me, I'm like, I I listen to that. I'm like, oh, he's good. That's a really good line. Why don't you rest up, get your strength back, throw a stick in the fire, you'll feel a lot better. <laughs> New adventures. <laughs> All right, so we're done with the uh, Jellyfish Lake reward, which, again, I would love to talk more about. There's really nothing more to say about it, but it's just fantastic. Yeah, now it, we get to there's it, nothing to say, but it's just good. It's really cool. Now we get to immunity. This is the one, one of my all-time favorite <laughs> challenges where they have to tie a box closed with knots and the other tribe has to open it which i wrote in my notes here that i absolutely love this challenge because there's so many puzzle challenges in survivor that kind of gets tedious the more you see them this one's fantastic because the other tribe creates the puzzle and i think that's so cool Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, although it sort of gets ruined. And, and yes, if James Miller were still alive, he would probably, you know, <laughs> this is a James Miller memorial challenge. I mean, this is just fantastic. I know a few things about knots. <laughs> I just love that he has apparently this like holy grail king of kings knot that like if you pull on it, it's just going to keep getting tighter and you don't know where it ends and where it begins. It's the super secret Navy knot that only James and coach know. <laughs> you can't Google it. You'll never find it. And that's what I love is that, you know, because the, the premise of this challenge is, is that they have to go out and get a bunch of sticks and crap and rope, you know, that, that's tied it in the water. And basically they have this box and inside the box is a flag and the whole point is to basically get your flag up on the flagpole and to do that you will have like 20 minutes or whatever to go out and retrieve these this wood and this, and this rope and then you have to kind of tie the 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 crate shut and then just basically tie all these sticks and knots like all around it and basically after this set amount of time you're then going to work on the other tribes knots and stick bundle and everything that they left for you and basically the first tribe to get their chest unlocked and then subsequently their flag out of their chest and put it up the flagpole wins and as mario said it's a really good challenge because it's not like the survivor producers have created something they basically laid out all the tools and then the tribe gets to make this difficult puzzle for the other tribe to sort of undo and what's great is that you know Coror just goes for the we're just going to make a bunch of knots and you know kind of gnarl this thing up which is what i'm sure they did but james is like oh no we only need one <laughs> Yeah, again, it's just hilarious. I mean, James talks up these knots that he's going to build for a good five, ten minutes. Then we get to the challenge. He spends part of the challenge just messing with his dress to get, make sure it fits right. Then he ties his super secret knot. And I swear it takes Janu, Katie, and the nanny almost two minutes to open his secret impenetrable knot. So well done, James. Again, it's this thing where, like, Oolong has a lead. Like, they get... They get all their stuff done first. They tie all these knots in. And then because, okay, James did his super impenetrable knot on the the chest, the lockbox part of the challenge. And then they made all the sticks and knots at the end. And if you notice, like, Oolong sort of gets to the chest almost first in a lot of ways. You know, Karor gets it up there. But then, you know, Karor, you know, Oolong then has to untie all those knots that Karor put on that thing. And Karor just unties the one knot and they're done. <laughs> yeah. It's like a... The scene in Raiders of the Lost Ark with the, the swordsman. Yeah. That's James's yeah. knot. He comes out, he's swinging his sword, and Indiana Jones just shoots him, and that's the end of the scene. That's it. Exactly. So much for James's knot. But it's weird because oh. you also have Kobe throughout this challenge as like a huge harbinger of doom on Karor. He's like, you know, Jeff's saying, like, oh yeah, Oolong's using every bit of rope they have. And Kobe's like sniping on the side, and we did not. Like, and Kobe's just talking the whole time about his tribe is going to lose. So maybe Kobe is the James of Karor. <laughs> he is. He could. I mean, you know, it, it, and it looked like, again, Oolong had a little bit of a lead and they were going in there. But of course, you know, Oolong being Oolong and James being James, his, his impenetrable knot is super easy to break. And it's because of that at the end. It's, you know, they got to the lockbox part of the, of the challenge. All that other knots and sticks sort of went by the wayside and then they get to the lockbox. And I mean, Karor just, they just had a thousand knots on there. And I mean, they were all easy, but you still had to get through them all. And Oolong had just the, the impenetrable James Miller knot, which Koror, once they got through it, they were like, oh, we're done. Okay. <laughs> and oh, James is not done with his fantastic predict- predictions in this episode. This is oh, where, no. okay, so Koror wins. Oolong's going to tribal council yet again. And James is positive that Bobby John will not vote for me. 
And then he is positive that Ibrahim's going to go home tonight with another uh, insensitive James Miller quote. Let me see. I can read it here. Ibrahim was meant to go last time, and by the grace of Allah, he didn't go. Well, my God says he is today, which, of course, does not come true. No, it isn't. They they just need to superimpose that quote around like images of the war in Iraq. <laughs> That's exactly. <laughs> Is this the episode where Steph and Bobby John have their talk? Yeah, there's there's a lot of stuff here. I wasn't going to talk too much into it because it kind of gets confusing. But yeah, this is based on last episode. Stephanie had voted for Bobby John, and she didn't want him to know, so she kind of lied to him. And this is where they make their final two deal, basically that they're going to stick together. Right. They make a final two. It's not super important, obviously, because of the way it's going to pan out in the next two episodes. But, you know, this is one of these plays where, you know, we're sort of getting we're still sort of I mean, we're not in the infancy of Survivor. This is season 10 for crying out loud. But, you know, just this sort of individual I'm going to, you know, sort of lie to everyone sort of stuff. It's something that we don't necessarily see all the time. But we as an audience, we're now kind of in Team Stephanie camp. Yeah. You know, like we're in full Stephanie's amazing mode. And Stephanie is now flat out lying to Bobby John. Like Bobby John's just basically like, who voted for me? The last tribal council. And Stephanie's like, well, I sure didn't. Yeah, I'll admit this is not a good strategic Stephanie episode. I'm still a little confused as to why she forced the tie when she f- knew that Ibrahim and Bobby John, Bobby John told her that she was that he was voting for James. I don't understand forcing the tie. There aren't a lot of strong Stephanie strategic episodes (laughs) ever. I mean, that's That's not that's not really why we watch Stephanie. No, but you know, she she does have a nice thing here. I mean, she I the thing is is that when she explains it, and that's why we were all Team Stephanie at the time because Stephanie is just flat out lying to Bobby John. And it's not like we hate Bobby John. I think we for the most part we like Bobby John too. And it's like she's just lying to Bobby John, saying, "Oh yeah, I didn't vote for you," and she totally did. But as she says in her confessional, she's like, look, if I told him I voted for him, he'd vote me out in this vote. And I'm like, I actually believe that, you know, she's right. Yeah, she's right. She's she's displaying this little canny sense of, uh, well, I lied to Bobby John, but I'm going to stick with it. But if we as an audience, we were like, that's right, Steph, you had to. You had to. It's okay. Now go force a tie inexplicably. Snack racket. (laughs) We're getting there. (laughs) We'll get there, Mario. I swear we'll get there. Okay, so now we have another tie here. This is Ibrahim and James oh tying two God. to two. Somehow Ibrahim escapes again. <laughs> Ibrahim is the Eliza of Oolong. <laughs> yes. Oh my God, that's the that best. harder to kill than Rasputin. <laughs> and that's right, the so last that's... time that Ibrahim from Survivor and Rasputin will ever be mentioned in the same sense. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> And I, I, had a, the, I had a whole little theory how they're the same guy, but I'll spare you. Let, let, oh, well, let's not go out on a limb. That's the last time that Ibrahim from Survivor and Eliza from Survivor will ever be mentioned in the same sentence. <laughs> uh, Jeff throws a little bit of shade at this tribal council, though. Like, once the tie happens, he's like, okay, let me remind you how tiebreakers work again. Like, as if they didn't do it three days ago. <laughs> is this the episode where Jeff is sick or the next one? No, he has uh, to sore throat the next one. It's the next, the next one, one. Yeah. But anyway, like this is like uh, the tribal council, really. Like you're right, Mario, that the beef stew tribal council in front of Karor was, you know, with the you brought all your stuff, but we're not merging. But like this episode, like Jeff is literally just like they sit down, the four of them at tribal council, and Jeff's just like, "What the hell's wrong with you guys?" Yeah, like this is pathetic at this point. (laughs) You ain't lying. (laughs) So we lose James, and I'm very sad to see James go. I mean, he was. Completely hapless, never successful at one single thing in Survivor. 
But again, one thing I like to point out is what a boring tribe that Oolongs would have been without James there. Because mm-hmm. he gives him a little color, just a little spice, and he's something different. And I lo- again, he, he didn't do anything. He wasn't successful at one single thing the entire season. But I loved him as a minor character. He really made Palau fun for six episodes. And his final words are an amazing cap to his storyline. He just says, like, well, my gut told me I, was, I, w- I wasn't going to be voted out. And my gut failed me. It's like the perfect sum of all the entire arc of James Miller. His gut failed him worse than Lex's did. Oh. I think Lex's gut could actually beat James's gut in a fight. Uh, but we... Bruce Cannon guy would kill them all with his gut. <laughs> you know, yeah, but I was thinking about, and I was, as we were talking about this, Bruce's gut is impenetrable. <laughs> so, well, James's not was supposed to be too, and that didn't work out. So That's well. right. <laughs> it's true. I mean, uh, going back to that jellyfish lake, can you imagine that there, there's that place that, that that's that cool in the world? And I've never been there, but James Miller has. <laughs> God damn it. God damn it anyway. Allah, damn it. Uh, my God damn it. Oh. Yeah, so, yeah, that's that's really the end of James, although there's a little tribute to him at the start of next in the beginning uh, in next episode. So we'll get mm-hmm. to that in a second. But. Anything else to say about James other than to play taps slowly in your head for a beloved minor character? No. I guess no. That's all we have. <laughs> you ain't lying. All right. Into episode seven. This is where we lose, you know, we lost one beloved character in James Miller. Now we're going to lose an equally beloved character in Ibrahim. That, y- y- <laughs> sure. <laughs> It's really sad, though, because, I mean, there's just three of them. And, I mean, it's funny because the, this is where, where, where Mike and I were sort of talking about earlier, where you get this sort of dual thing, because now the action's going to shift. We get a lot of oolong scenes because, really, we're just like, this is like literally we're at a zoo watching, like, an animal that you've never seen before. Because, like, oolong, they're down to just three people in a camp. Like, this is unprecedented in Survivor history, just to have three people at a camp. So, like, we're just kind of watching them, but almost like from beyond a glass or bars or something where we're like, look at these, look at these weird animals doing weird three person tribe things. But now the, the sort of strategy and the tribe dynamics, it's all going over to Karor. I mean, we get things over at Oolong, like Stephanie, Bobby John, just basically going like, are you with me? Are you, are you going to vote against me? And Bobby John's like, well, sir, I, I do not know. But like, it's just, it's all just, you know, sort of, there's three people on a tribe. Isn't that weird? And they're like, yeah, it's weird. It doesn't seem like a tribe. It just seems like friends. It's just weird. There's just three oolong people. And to prove your theory further, I think this is the point where they also move to the cave. So it looks like they're yeah. more in a zoo exhibit. <laughs> that cave is so jank. I love it. <laughs> All right. So we uh, go to episode seven and we uh, go over to Karor. And this is where we have one of the more memorable scenes that people remember where Tom catches a shark. Yeah, well, yes. it's, it's, it starts off as like a pissing contest almost because Ian's the first to bring in uh, a giant clam, which has like, he says about like six or seven pounds of meat on it. And then they leave the, the bloody clamshell in the water. And of course that attracts a shark. And, and, you know, Tom is feeling probably a little butt hurt by Ian being the, the provider. So he decides to, to just man up and go after it. Which is funny because you saw them, you know, they set this up episodes before where like shark were coming close when they caught those snakes or whatever. And, you know, they saw him, like, craft these sort of sharpened big sticks that they had as spears, and they were trying to, like, spear a shark. And it just took Tom, apparently, to, like, run over with the machete and just whack a shark in half with the machete. <laughs> Whammo! I got a shark! Not bad, uh. Smile, you son of a bitch! <laughs> 
Yeah, so, yes. so, so Tom Ian, catches a shark. Yeah, once again, Ian gets one-upped by Tom, which is becoming a running theme. But again, it just shows like the, the fantastic nature that is Ian, right? Because Ian's in this confessional. He's just like, yeah, I thought I was a big man. I brought in this humongous clam, and then Tom catches a shark. Yeah. You know, I guess the next thing I need to do is bring in a humpback whale. <laughs> What's Tom bring in like a T-Rex after that? <laughs> yeah. I, I, I created a dinosaur out of this amber, and... Uh, <laughs> Now I, I found a cornered in the museum. Where'd you get the amber from, Tom? JP? <laughs> it's a hot amber. <laughs> Callback reference. All right, so we go to the reward challenge here. And this is, it's funny, I joked earlier that why, why wouldn't the producers have rigged at least one challenge here to give Oolong They tried to. They really they tried. tried. To, yeah, they used the SOS challenge, which is the easiest one to rig. Again, it's, it's a classic case if you, have to, if you have a tribe getting beaten in Survivor and you need them to win, just go back in the history of Survivor. This is where the SOS challenge comes in and gives the tribe a chance to get back in the game. It's not and a, it looks like it's not yeah, a they try it. It's reward, but like I, I told my wife at that point, like we were watching it earlier, and I was just looking at it, I was like, well, it's, it's, it's the we're going to rig a tribe for a challenge, and Oolong still manages to lose the SOS. <laughs> They'll lose. They uh, lose the rigged challenge. So there you go. I love it. Yeah, so so uh, it's a typical Mayday signal challenge that'll be subjectively judged by a man in a helicopter. Um, I'm not sure what his credentials are. I think he's like one of the... Is he, is he like a, a, a signal-making expert or something? He's the drop master, so you know. Yeah, he's no Rafa. He is no Rafa. He's the no. Rafa of the skies, they called him. What do you think of Oolong's signal? Oh, no. Oh, no, no. Oh, no, no, no. <laughs> Although, in their defense, there's one part of Oolong's signal which is fantastic, and that's Bobby John spazzing and running into the water. Yeah, so uh, Oolong decides to spell out Oolong all in palm fronds, and both tribes have the idea of lighting it on fire. Um, and so while Oolong's kind of you know, getting to work, and they're tearing down their, their now defunct bathroom, to use the lumber, which James is pr- would probably be unhappy about if he was there. Um, over at Karor, it's Greg, Katie, and Karen working on it. Uh, and one of those things is not like the other. <laughs> Greg? I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I, would, I, would, oh, I think Karen does a certain amount of work, but I feel like of the three of them, Greg is the one that stands out. I'm surprised there wasn't more sniping between Katie and Karen during this challenge. Yeah, we, we really missed an opportunity there, but... You know, it was really funny because you saw Oolong and I mean, I, I always wonder like, you know, with the whole rigging, like I joked, you know, they had the piece of paper that was describing the challenge. And I was like, you can use anything, perhaps even tearing down your, your crappy bathroom. Maybe you could use all of that supplies to make a really gigantic fire, Oolong. It would have been really funny if Karor tore down their like luxury shelter and used the materials to make the signal. That would have been pretty good. That would have been a hell of a lot of six they could have thrown in the fire. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, they go, they, they do this challenge, and then the drop master goes over, and I mean, they basically say, well, Oolong made a really big uh, uh, signal, but they put it back into the woods and not really on the beach, and Karor's wasn't as big, and they were like, we really want to give it to Karor, but why the hell does Oolong suck so much? <laughs> it's too bad James wasn't there, because you know he knew a lot about drop master signals. <laughs> hell yeah. I got it. If we, if we put it in the woods, they'll definitely <laughs> see it. <laughs> Underground, bury it. <laughs> that sounds great. <laughs> Not good. <laughs> he didn't like down. <laughs> he didn't like down. 
Yeah, so anyway, Karora wins again, and it's not close, as is the pattern, and Oolong is shut out yet again. Again, but I do have to give props one more time to Bobby John absolutely losing his shit and running into the water <laughs> and going crazy in a SOS challenge. Like, he even goes crazy in a non-physical challenge. It's, it's awesome to watch. He just goes from zero to Bobby John. It's like, well, sir, the plane is coming. I think I will go into the water. Yeah. I just want to see like Bob and Jeff up in the helicopter and Bob's being like, well, signal's a little too close to the, oh, who, what is that? Who is that man? Is that man drowning? Yeah. You got a fucking Tasmanian devil spinning its way into the ocean. What the hell is that? He looks like a chemically imbalanced Alabaman running into the water. And as, as so they make the drop on Karor and we get one of the most annoying sounds in the world, which is Karen clutching onto Greg yelling, I'm so happy. <laughs> which again at this point i was watching the episode and karen is yelling and screaming at the wind and my wife just screams, says karen's the worst <laughs> i'm like you are now number one fan of mike bloom you ain't lying <laughs> hell yeah although it's funny again again continuing the military theme to harp on this yet again they get mres which are military meals mil- meals ready to eat so which is so good i mean that's yeah, yeah. That seems so appropriate for Survivor. Yeah, they got MREs and some booze and a note that says, Dear Oolong, we know that you suck in challenges. We are really glad that you could win this one. <laughs> Sincerely, the Survivor producers. And Karor laughed at it. Yeah, and they, get, and they also get, so they, in their box, they also get three bottles of wine. And uh, they get fishing equipment. So now Tom does not need to use machetes to <laughs> whack at things. All right, um, so what happens here? We go back to Oolong. They're just completely depressed. They're hapless. They can't win anything. We go over to Karor, and uh, what's that? I think this is the Greg and Jen show where we talk a lot about Greg's uh, his problems in playing Survivor when you're dating somebody, basically, that he's trying to be a good boyfriend and be a good strategist at the same time, which, again, really doesn't pan out in the long run, but they're just kind of filling some uh, time here. Anything to say about this, this part? Well, it's that, and it's just more, it's setting up a lot of, you know, Kobe being irked at everyone. Yeah. Which, which is tough, because Kobe is sort of emerging in these last, you know, as we're getting more into Karor, you sort of see this dynamic, because as, as you mentioned before, Mario, and, and, and Mike, like the, as these challenges go on, and as Oolong keeps dwindling in, dwindling in numbers, like they have to run these immunity challenges with equal number of people. So then it just gets comically funny, because there's eight Karor members, and they have to sit out five people. Yeah, But, you know, the people that you can see consistently playing, like Tom and Ian are usually always in the mix, and it's Kobe and Greg that are kind of the next two. Like, Kobe is kind of emerging as someone that is, you know, a threat in challenges. And he's at camp, though, but he's not all, like, Greg is trying to play this in-between sort of game, and Tom and Ian and Katie are in alliance. And then Kobe's just angry at everyone. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He wants to get the hell out of Oolong. Yeah, and the, the Kobe storyline is kind of unfortunate because they build it up for so long. It doesn't really pay off until about, what, the ninth or 10th episode? And it's, it's just one of those things, you know Kobe's upset, you know that split's coming, but the payoff for it doesn't really come for quite a while. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, and, and again, it's, it's as you mentioned, that Oolong is now a Greek tragedy. Not that Kobe's story is a Greek tragedy, but you can see the end of Kobe's story because, you know, Kobe is, is trying to somewhat angle against Tom. Tom caught a shark and you get a confessional from Kobe basically saying, well, now it's going to be harder to vote Tom out because he caught a shark. And, you know, when, when Stephanie's going to come over, he's going to talk about all that. But it's like they keep reminding us and, and we have a, a, a moment here where like, 
you know, they keep mentioning that you like, we had a, we had that, I don't know if it's this episode or the next one or whatever, where like Tom and Ian are talking and they, they mention how they have Stephanie and, you know, she's still over there and we can still use her. And it's like, they still mention that Tom and Ian and Katie are tight with Stephanie and, and Kobe is trying to, you know, I might use the piece from, from Oolong to, you know, better myself in the game. And it's like, we kind of know how this might end Kobe. Yeah, yeah. It's it's going back to that example again from Indiana Jones. It seems like Kobe's the the one with the sword doing all these strategic maneuvers to build up to the merge, and then as soon as the merge happens, he just gets shot. Yeah. Although, don't forget that if Katie makes it farther than him, he's going to puke, 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 puke. Foreshadowing. <laughs> all right, so we go to the immunity challenge, which means it's time for Oolong to u- lose yet again. This one is, is especially bad. Yeah, yeah, this one they just get brutalized, although it's memorable only because at the start of the challenge when the two tribes see each other for the first time and Karora sees that James is gone, this is where they do their little tribute to James. Mm-hmm. James, James voted yeah. out at last tribal council. Yeah, Ian goes, James, you ain't lying. And then Kobe goes, come on. <laughs> it's just, uh, just a cute little funny character moment that I've always appreciated. It just kind of comes out of nowhere. But this is a a sliding puzzle in the water. So it's one of those old sliding puzzles with the gap in it where you have to move the pieces along and make a picture. And it's kind of like a a, a star insignia inside a circle. And uh, they can only have three people because Oolong only has three people. And one person's the caller that's going to basically tell the other two that that are in the water to kind of slide the pieces through, these giant pieces through manually. And we have Kobe on Karor. And and we start with Bobby John on Oolong. (laughs) It doesn't go well. Uh, if you could just move that piece uh, over there, and uh, if you sir can move that over there, I don't want to. I don't want to spoil Guatemala. Go ahead of season, but there's a fantastic quote about Bobby John, which fits perfectly here. You got. You guys know which one I'm talking about from Brandon. Oh, uh, I'm trying to remember. Brandon says Bobby John's a little. Uh, I guess you would say dumb. <laughs> which is a, such a brutal quote. It happens later in Guatemala, but that's what I always think of when I'm watching Bobby John trying to do the slide puzzle here. You know, and Bobby John had a, had a quote. You know, it was after the SOS challenge when, you know, he's like, I guess we lost the SOS challenge because uh, we didn't get – the plane went by and didn't drop anything. Uh, you know, we just, we just got beat by them over there. I mean, they worked harder. Well, maybe they didn't work harder, but they worked smarter. <laughs> yes. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so, uh, so you know, Bobby Bob, – Kobe is staying very cold and calculated as he's moving things around. He has a plan in mind. Bobby John just sort of – shuffling things around and stephanie you know sort of yells you're messing me up right now and she decides <laughs> to take over i love that one of the three people doing the challenge is janu at karor she can't swim she can't uh tread water she can barely move anything yet they still destroy oolong when one of the three people can't swim it's tough i mean kobe was moving the puzzle around what's funny is that bobby john i mean i don't know what the elapsed time was but bobby john basically you know kobe was like getting things in order getting like sides and edges and you know sort of getting the the puzzle sort of in an order and he was sort of stuck on this one corner for a little bit but it was funny because bobby john sort of just shuffled the pieces around it's funny because then stephanie gets up there like they switch they switch bobby john out for stephanie and she gets up there and she's like well we're in bad shape yeah and what's funny is that even when you see that Kobe, they're putting their final pieces in order, like, you, did you look at Oolong's puzzle? <laughs> it's like someone threw up the pieces over there. Like, it, was, it, didn't, it looked just like when they started. <laughs> so anyway, Oolong loses again. And this is probably the most lopsided of any of the defeats in the season, if I recall. This one was terrible. Yeah. yeah. And then they go back to camp, and Ibrahim, of all people, gives a great soundbite when he says, seven times in a row, good God. <laughs> <laughs> this has to be a record. Which, admittedly, is that's a wonderful thing to say for someone who's a recruit and has never seen the show before. 
Yeah, I think he's actually asking a question. <laughs> it's like, that has to be a record, right? I mean, <laughs> this doesn't happen all the time, right? right. I mean, this, this is the amazing race, right, guys? Yeah. Which briefcase is the million dollars in? <laughs> so, yeah, so now it's Stephanie against, as she claims, two boys from Alabama. You got Ibrahim and Bobby John from the same part of the country. I mean, do the same type of stuff, both athletes, and she knows she's screwed. But she's got to rely on <clears throat> on Bobby John's word that he's going to go with her to the end. So this is Stephanie's at her most desperate moment here. But to be fair, he doesn't necessarily give his word this episode. He gave in the last episode, but this one he, he just doesn't know. <laughs> yeah. This is where I sort of take it back. Like I've said that you sort of want Bobby John as a teammate, other, you know, just because he's a hard worker at camp. And, I mean, he'll give us all, but – there's a part where you don't want to work with Bobby John. And, and, and here it is in this thing where Stephanie works out a deal with Bobby John. And she's like, we had a deal. We said we look out. And he's like, well, well yeah, but, but I don't know. It's a toss-up. <laughs> That's not a deal, Will. <laughs> <laughs> I think Bobby John just said game on. <laughs> I think Bobby John just said game over. <laughs> Sir. Yeah, so really Stephanie's got to cross her finger. There's a whole lot of scrambling where they try to – she worked with Ibrahim to get out Bobby John. It's kind of irrelevant in the end. But in the end, it's really will Bobby John honor his word and and save Stephanie, and he ends up doing so. So, yes, Stephanie lives to fight another day, and we lose the beloved fan favorite Ibrahim. (laughs) The beloved fan. Poor Ibrahim. He was done. Yeah, Ibrahim may be the most forgettable survivor ever. I mean – and that's admittedly saying a lot when Ashley was also on this season, and so was Kim. But yeah, Ibrahim, no one ever remembers him. He made no impact whatsoever. But I have to say, when I'm watching the season, he seems like a good guy. Like, yeah. he's very humble. Yeah. He uh-huh. seems, just seems like a nice little gentleman. He's not exciting, but like, you'd, li- you'd probably be friends with him in real life. He seems like a good guy, and it's kind of a shame that he's so forgettable. Yeah. I mean, you could see why he's not cut out for Survivor. I mean, he's a nice guy, but he's, you know, and he's, 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 decent in in physical challenges it's not like he was ever really beast moding much you know it's it's not like he contributed a whole heck of a lot it's not like he was fantastically awful either and he was nice and got along with you but it just didn't seem like you know he was in it to to play it or anything like that he just was there yeah yeah what's funny is i know a a survivor fan i'm not going to mention his name it's someone a lot of us know but he he knows a lot about the show. He knows the history of the show, but he'll go on and on that his least favorite player in Survivor history is Ibrahim. He hates Ibrahim with the passion. And I don't know how anybody could hate Ibrahim. I don't <laughs> even know how anybody could have that strong of an opinion about him either way. Yet, I know a guy who actually hates Ibrahim as in his least favorite player ever. So I always remember that when I think Ibrahim. That seems weird. Yeah, Ibrahim is more like Ibrahim is like the anvil of Survivor at this point. <laughs> he was. He oh, my God. Fit an entire egg in his mouth. Him? A balut. See, we should end with the balut challenge. It would have worked. <laughs> Calls it a maya balut. <laughs> yes. So we lose Ibrahim, and Oolong is now down to just two, Bobby John and Stephanie. It is a first in Survivor history. It's now a two-person tribe. And this next episode, entitled Neanderthal Man, I, I'm not going to say, I, I'm not going to posit it for one of the best Survivor episodes of all time. I'm not going that direction. But it is a really unique episode. Yeah. Because... Just this tribe of two with Bobby John and Stephanie, and it's they're introducing things that you know you just never think about before. Just the fact that it's two people and just the mental strain that that is, and then you know what they they counterbalance it with just the spoil of riches over there on Koror, where they're like, everyone's still here. <laughs> oh no, there are rats invading our mansion. Also, in this uh, episode, we introduce snot rockets. We got there, Mario. Go we ahead. Got there. Go ahead. Yes, we could. 
All right, yeah, um, I'm going through my notes here. Episode 8, Bobby John. Uh, yeah, we got the rats. We got Kobe being mad because the girls don't do anything. He wants to push them all in a fire, which is Kobe's so much of a feminist, he wants to kill the women. Well, to be fair, Janu's legs are like sticks, so he's just <laughs> doing Tom Proud. Do we just want to throw another Janu in the fire, Tom? <laughs> is that what we want? You know, it, Kobe is, again, this is, we're setting up on Koror Dynamics. We're, we're setting up, Greg is like, well, me and Jen are in the middle, and uh, I want to win. And then Tom says Tom things. And then we just get interviews where Kobe is just fed up with everyone. Yeah, I and mean, really, that's been the dynamic for the last three episodes. Yep. And we're just reinforcing it and reinforcing it. But we do get a, we get a little bit of flashes of Jen in here and and things like that when, when we get to the reward challenge. And, and we'll get there when we get there, but... You know, this is now we're spending some time over at Oolong and just Bobby, John, and Stephanie. And, you know, this is, again, we're glossing over it. And I feel like we don't have, a, there's not a lot to talk about here. But you have to remember, Stephanie was so popular. And part of it is just these episodes when Oolong is down to three people to two people. And, you know, they're like, we're, we're, it's us against the world, but we're not going to give up. And they're saying all this sort of inspirational stuff, which is lol. It's oolong. Yeah. But, you know, that's what they're doing. They're trying. And again, you're kind of rooting for them. You really yeah. do want to see them win yeah. just once. It's tough because there was a lot of people that watched the episode. And, you know, there were, there were a lot of people like, you know what? I liked Karor. I rooted for Karor and I wanted them to decimate oolong. But, you know, these are, you know, hey, there are, there are Yankees and Lakers fans and, and, and things like that in the world. Like, you know, they, they were going there like – America loves an underdog for the most part, and Oolong is—they're an underdog. <laughs> yeah, it, it just—it just makes it tough, especially with this episode, uh, because with the exceptions of Thailand and uh, and All Stars, they the tribes usually merged at ten, and we're at ten now. I always found it a little unfair to Bobby John that they didn't merge right now, because with all this stuff going on on Karor, who knows what would have happened? Right. But you know, again, that this had to be some audible in production. They're like, no, you got to let this ride. Yeah. Yeah, I've heard a lot of people say that over the years that they'd heard that there was supposed to be a merge, but the producers just didn't do it. I don't know how much truth there is to that. I don't know how anybody could know that. But that's been the rumor over the years that they were supposed to merge, but the producers changed their mind because they wanted to see what would happen. I wouldn't be surprised either way. It seems yeah. like if, if there was not a plan to merge at 10 mm-hmm. and they were going to merge at 9 or 8, that seems very – it seems odd. You know what I mean? It seems like – you know, if, if they if they really were going to go with, well, we're not going to merge until both tri- one tribe has completely decimated the other. It's like, for the most part, tribes usually enter 5-5 five, five or 6-4. Like, there isn't going to be a merge until way later in the game. And and if they called an audible and said, well, we're not merging because this Oolong keeps losing, like, that's totally within their prerogative. I mean, that's a fantastic story. Yeah. Even, even, you know, all these seasons in the Survivor, there's never been anything like Koror and Oolong. And this challenge coming up, Balut, very easily could have been an individual challenge. Yeah, absolutely. All right, so speaking of that, yeah, we're going to go to one of the more notorious uh, food-eating challenges in Survivor history where they eat something that starts with B and ends in Oot. Beirut! Beirut! (laughs) Oh, Mike, you're the best. Mike, they can't eat a country. So anyway, I'm going to steal a quote from Dina Bennett here. When speaking about the balut, when I say that is just nasty ass. Yeah, it's it it looks I've seen it, you know, in many forms on this and on the amazing race, and every time it just looks increasingly disgusting, specifically <laughs> the way they describe it. Yeah. The balut. beak. Watch out for the beak. 
Yeah, balut is one of those things where that was like the one gross food in Survivor that I had actually heard of before they were eating it. Like, yes, I have heard of spiders and stuff, but you know, when they get that wheel of death in in Australia and they're showing all those things that you can eat, like I've never heard of those things. Like, I understand the concept. Like, that's a worm, and you know, that's a a, a gross brain or something like that. But like balut, I had heard of, like just the the partially formed duck or you know chicken that 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 you just eat. Like, I had heard of that before, but. I had just because I had heard of it and understood the concept, like that's one of those like weird things that as an American, you're like, well, that's not my culture and that's really gross and I'm not really going to think about it very much. But here on Survivor Palau, they're like, yep, here it is. You're going to eat it. I'm troubled that Jay had never heard of an apple slice before. Yeah, well. Yeah, what are things like in the Midwest? (laughs) Uh, Well, there's a lot of cheese out here, Mike. (laughs) Everything is covered in cheese and and I'm not going to lie to you. It's fantastic. It's funny. I know there's a lot of Asian Survivor fans that I've seen on message boards when, you know, the American fans will go on there and say, oh, Balut's nasty, gross. And a lot of Asian fans will say, no, it's not. We eat it all the time. So it's kind of one of those things. I kind of feel bad mocking it because a lot of people eat this stuff. But like out of all the gross things they've ever eaten on Survivor, I think the Balut is the last one I would ever try, to be honest. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Except it, for maybe the apple slice in Australia. Well, there's that. I mean, but 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 like like you were saying, though, Balut is a very – that's a very known – food to me like when they were like you're gonna eat balut i'm like i know what balut is i mean i find i i I don't want to eat it but i know what it is yeah so uh the two tribes will compete in uh eating embryonic chickens and let's 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 not say two tribes let's say the four people will compete (laughs) okay the four people and the winner gets citrus splash citrus splash mouthwash very exciting and 55 gallons of fresh water and all the uh, their bathroom supplies. Yeah, so for those of you that have hopped onto the Survivor train a little late, back in the day, Survivor had sponsors. And <laughs> a lot of these sponsors were from, like, Home Depot. And this one was blatantly sponsored by things like Crest and Scope and Oil of Olay. Yeah, this is the worst. We'll get to it in a minute. But, yeah, they had the Balut contest. But I, I like your point, Mike, where you're like, it's not the tribes. It's four people are going to eat Balut. Yeah. And, of course, it's just, it's just BS because Karora always gets to send their top two people in everything. Like, if it's Bobby John and Stephanie against, like, Karen and Janu, that's different. Right. But they, they, Tom and Ian took the bullet for this one. And uh, not surprisingly, they, everyone ate their balut. So then it came to a fact where, you know, Tom and Bobby John had to face off and eat five, first one to eat five balut, the fastest one. Yeah. And I love the gamesmanship of Tom just making little gross comments about the food the entire time to try to gross out Stephanie and Bobby John. Like, watch the beak. I got a little chirp out of that one. Oh, I feel the feet. They kind of scratch. Just little things like that. But uh, but but I think that Bobby John kept his cool and, 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 and really showed a level head through this whole challenge. <laughs> he did. That's the thing. As long as you don't panic, you usually do pretty well. Until yeah, the end, some- when, when Bobby John's like, all right, I got five. I can shove five balut down my throat. <laughs> yeah, he physically tries to, I think, with his fists. He tries to get all five down at once, which is such a Bobby John thing. But yeah, this is something I made a lot of fun on, of with, with the uh, Funny 115, a lot of images of Bobby John trying to get the balutes down his mouth. But yeah, unfortunately, as with just about every other challenge this season, Tom is just slightly better. So Bobby John does the whole Charlie Brown thing again, where he tries his best and the football gets yanked out and he ends up with a... Mouthful of half-eaten balut at the end, looking absolutely crestfallen that he couldn't beat Tom this time. And it's absolutely disgusting. It's tough because of all the reward challenges, though, like, okay, the, 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 the fresh water is a great reward. And, and I'm not knocking that part of it. 
But like, you know, okay, crest and scope, that's nice and all, but like, that's not fishing equipment or like a drop box of MREs or, or anything like that. Like, if there was ever a challenge to lose, it's this one. And it's just they get back to camp and they're like, well, sir, we could have really used that challenge. <laughs> Yeah, it's weird, well, it's weird that they saved the fresh water for so late in the game. Africa, wasn't it in, like, episode 5 that they yeah, brought they, it in? But they were well, dying, that, Mike. Yeah, true. <laughs> and again, in Africa, that's a much better reward. They needed that. Like, I don't, didn't necessarily think they really needed fresh water in Palau. Yeah, that's just that's just promoting more laziness. Like, well, now you don't have to, like, go get water and boil it, which is, you know, and the water's right there. And, I mean, in Africa, it was like, they're, they were physically dying. They were like, oh, my God, we have to save them. <laughs> Yeah, so anyway, uh, Oolong, loses, or Oolong loses again. Karor wins the reward. They get the 55 gallons. And, of course, the girls want to use it for showers and to clean off. And Tom kind of pulls a Tom Dick move here and says, no, we're going to use it for showers because I'm Tom. Or we're going to use it for the drinking water and for canteens because I'm Tom. So, and the girls are kind of pissy about that. It's interesting that for all the talk, again, Tom has a tribal council about, like, I was forced into this, into this position. I didn't want to be in this. He's totally, like, playing his hand right now by being like, nope. My word is God. We are going to be not going to shower with it. <laughs> I was forced into this position by myself. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's tough, but at the same time, it's a pretty smart move. Like, if you're given fresh water that you don't have to boil, like, you probably shouldn't shower with it. Just yep, saying. Okay. So we go back to Oolong and now Bobby John. Now he's finally starting to get pissed. It's like mm-hmm. the old Sean Kenneth thing, you know, if, that, if, I, if they vote together one more time, I'll think there's an alliance. So Bobby <laughs> John's like, if we lose one more time, now I'm going to get pissed. And so now it's finally snapped. Now he's getting, he's getting angry. It's, as he says, it's getting real, real old, all this losing. Yep, and he's angry. And Stephanie's like, I'm glad that he's angry, and maybe that'll spark him for the next challenge. Spoiler alert, it yeah. won't. But because, you, know, you know, Bobby John just doesn't have enough energy in these challenges. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> But we do get this really odd scene. It's one of the oddest scenes in Survivor history, and it's where basically Stephanie's talking about how Bobby John has devolved into, like, a caveman, where, you know, he's grunting, and you see him, like, blowing into some shell just randomly, like, and everything like that. And, I mean, she's just talking about how he's gross, and he's grunting, and he's making weird noises, and he's hitting things. And then he also, what, Mario? Blows snat rackets, which is absolutely the funnest thing to say in a Stephanie accent. Snack rackets. Not filet mignon pizza? <laughs> no, snack rackets. <laughs> Which is funny because you totally see him do it. And he, like, yeah. It's funny because he like blows it and he's like, I, I apologize for that. <laughs> yeah. It's also like three feet from the fire. <clears throat> yeah, he's also eating the crab shells, if I remember. Yes. Yeah. Oh, and he's blowing. She's just like, he's blowing them right where we're sleeping. And you see him doing it. And she's like, I, I, I apologize for that, but I must do it. <laughs> yes. This is a lesson in courtship, basically. Yeah. I do declare I must blow a snot rocket at this time, ma'am. But you can see, though, like why, you know, we rooted for Stephanie and we rooted for Bobby John. But I think that America was more on, on the boat of Stephanie. And I, it's not even like when you look at these uh, confessionals that Stephanie's giving, that she's giving like some extra spark in her confessionals. But she's showing emotion. She's saying her feelings. And it's just like Bobby John is such a gentleman, right? Like he's either at zero or he's at 11, right? And it's like he's not doing confessionals when he's like hulked out. So like all his confessionals are very calm. It's just, well, we didn't win today. We need to do better. And it's like you can't, you can't do much with that. What's funny is that so many fans over the years tend to think that Bobby John and Stephanie were like a pair. 
No. Although it comes out in Guatemala, they're like, oh, we couldn't stand each other ever. We hate each other. So it's kind of funny that so many people kind of think of them as a pair. Yeah, I mean, the, the fact that they didn't even join together until the bitter end. And even then, the next episode, Bobby John's like, oh, I don't know if I'm going to vote with you this time. <laughs> yeah. They don't, right, get, so, they don't get together too long. I mean, even Stephanie says, you know, well, we don't have a whole ton in common, you know, but it's just they've gone through like this traumatic experience of being on Oolong. All right. So we go over to Karor, and this is where we get a, one of my favorite Katie quotes of the season where she says that, you know, it's almost time we have to start turning on each other. Our happy time will be over soon. She's like, no more Karor roar. Now it'll be like scary, Arr! which is it's just a, it's, a, it's kind of a visual thing, but it's one of my one of the cutest little Katie confessionals. Was this before or after Ian gave like the total scope commercial? Oh, this is after. Yeah. Ian's like, I love this citrus blast scope. It tastes <laughs> like oranges. And I, I remember at the time just going like, oh, my God. You know, that gets on TV. Sandra did the same thing with Outback. So if you want to get airtime, just praise the sponsor of the show. Jerry, remember Jerry did that, too, with Mountain Dew in Australia. That's fantastic. Yeah. I do the Amber do, baby. <laughs> Sh- Mountain Dew. Oh, my God. It's so good. <laughs> and some Doritos. But, yes, Ian does love a scope. But, yes, Katie is – I mean – they're setting it up. I mean, she's like in, in there's a couple of these confessionals where they're like, yep, you know, um, we're going to have to turn on each other and it's going to get ugly. Yep. And this is where Tom and Ian start again, reiterating their plan to team up with Stephanie at the merge. Okay. The, the final four is supposed to be Ian, Tom, Stephanie, and Katie. And so yeah. that's the thing they they need Stephanie because they need them to help take out Greg and Jen. So it's Stephanie's going to be a key uh, variable here coming up. But you can sort of see where this early Karor ire is going to go because, as I've said, you know, we've set up sort of three dynamics on Karor. We've set up Tom and Ian, and then we've set up Greg and Jen, and then Kobe's kind of mad at everyone yeah. and, you know, plotting his own thing. But we get this really in-depth uh, scene here where, you know, Tom is talking to Ian, and they're like, Greg and Jen is our problem. We need to take out Greg and Jen. It's like, what about Kobe? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, Kobe's an interesting piece because – I always wondered where exactly he fit in with everybody because, you know, he's very antagonistic, almost openly antagonistic to Tom in the episodes. But I know in real life he wasn't doing that every minute of every sure. day. So yeah. it'd yeah. be interesting to hear from Kobe exactly what the dynamics were there. Yeah, I really want to get his side of the story because in some episodes it, feel like, it feels like he was close with the women. But then we see like this past episode that he was wanting to push them in a fire. And then some episodes he loves Tom and then the next episode he hates Tom and is kind of bitching at Tom for not taking him out on the fishing trip. So I would love to know whether it was a day-to-day thing or whether Kobe like had a set group of people that he really got along with. You can't always take confessionals for 100% gospel. I think I think in the next episode, I think Ian says something about how like, you know, Kobe's, you know, been a real pain in the neck the last few days. So it seems like probably people liked Kobe for the most part, you know, and he was he was he was socially accepted by everyone, but he 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 usually alludes to the fact that he was on the outside. Yeah. So so whether he was getting along with people or not, it seems like he was, but he felt like he was on the outside. And so I think he was probably working that his game from that viewpoint. Yeah. Which could have affected things. I mean, it, it's real. It, yeah, it, it'd be fun to interview Kobe and figure out just exactly where all that stuff went, because his story is like both told and yet massively untold at the same time. So it'd be fun to see where that goes. All right, so here we get to the immunity challenge, which is also known as <laughs> Oolong's last stand. Where this, is, this is like what, you know, get some, this is like old challenges redux, like, you know, you have to keelhaul yourself and pick up 
pieces which you have to assemble, which is then the word search, and then you have to do the word search, and then do the extra word where the words intersect. Like, oh my yeah. god. Bobby John involved in a word search is just really not a good idea. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I love Bobby John, but this is not his forte. No, but then we do have like we have like a James S. confessional from Stephanie before the challenge of like, oh yeah, today's gonna be Oolong's day. I am pretty good at this stuff. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and they, they, they caught like some fish or something. They're like, we got a fish and I am good at puzzles. We are we are set. I know a few things about immunity wins. So anyway, yeah, they get there, and it's Stephanie and Bobby John against Kobe and Greg, which doesn't it seem odd to you uh, when I was watching this episode that it wasn't male and female? They didn't make Karor pick one male and one female for the challenge? It seems like that was something that, you know, in, in later seasons they might have, you know, tried to enforce. Yeah. But they didn't for this one. And Kobe and Greg go out there, and uh, again, stop me if you've heard this before, Ulan gets a small lead. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, Oolong gets ahead and tragically falls behind and then loses. So it's, a, it's a, one of these uh, standout episodes that doesn't it, it, in any way compare to the earlier episodes when the exact same thing happens. And what's fun is that, you know, they get a small lead, but, you know, it, it's fairly even on the whole physical part where they have to keel haul themselves and pick up these puzzle pieces. And then they don't even really tragically lose it on the word search. They lose it just putting the word search together. Yeah. <laughs> oh, Bobby John. <laughs> If only he would have hulked out and spazzed out during this challenge, it would have been fantastic. Well, he would have, like, and, smashed the pieces. <laughs> I want to see him doing a word search while hulked up. I mean, that would be the funniest thing ever, is just screaming at the words and stuff. Yeah, the fact that the puzzle portion was three separate parts for Bobby John, like, you have to first put the puzzle together, then you have to word search, then you have to take, like, the intersecting letters and then come out with a third phrase. It was just basically, like... Jeff should, could have been like, you want to know what your challenge is? Uh, Karor, just here. <laughs> hey, Oolong, if you make it to the word search, you win. You don't <laughs> even need to do anything. It's like, the, it's like a celebrity final Jeopardy. Uh, yeah. <laughs> just right where you are. <laughs> so, yes. And Burt Reynolds, you wrote nothing. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, yeah. Oolong loses. We get a, a nice confessional here from Kobe about, you know, how he was an outsider his whole life. He never played sports. He was never on a team and how excited he is that he was on the winning team, the most winning team in Survivor history. It's kind of a nice little moment, which is odd considering that Kobe's kind of painted as the villain in most of these episodes. So it's kind of an odd little juxtaposition. Yeah, he's, and now, he's, totally, he's totally that that kid at camp who like bitches about it the whole time but secretly loves it. <laughs> that's it. That's Kobe. Well, is that, but not not just Kobe. I mean, that's a great little confessional. I, I love, you know, it, it's a nice sentiment where he's like, look, I'm, I've been an outsider and not a part of winning teams and we're a winning team. But, you know, just everybody, they all eulogize Oolong because they all know, like, Oolong lost. They have to go to tribal council and only one's going to remain. Like, they're like, we decimated them. And so, like, you know, all of Karor, like, instead of just going over to Oolong, we get this whole Karor scene where they're all like, yeah, we win. We're the best. And they follow Kobe's confessional with Tom saying, yeah, I've always been on the winning team. This is normal. Yo, Tom. All right. So here we go. This is the uh, famous showdown between Bobby John and Stephanie. The first time in Survivor history when a two-person tribe was decimated. The only time I believe it's ever happened. And basically, Stephanie and Bobby John go to tribal council. And it, it's going to be come down to fire building. Whoever can build a fire first wins immunity and the other one goes home. And I don't want to spend any time, really any time on it, but this is why you don't 
posit this episode for best survivor episodes of all time, there's that stretch. Like it's like this five or six or maybe even like eight minute stretch where we're just talking about like Bobby John and Stephanie, but like, it's just filler. I mean, it's literally just them. It's, it's not even like interesting camp life. It's not like I need strategy every second, but they're just basically like, yeah, we lost a lot. Yeah, yeah, I mean, what more, else can you do? Yeah. It's, it's more them eulogizing their, their tribe than anything. Yeah. And it's like, at this point, we're like, we get it. But yes, we go to tribal council, and they're going to do a fire challenge. And it's funny, I've heard some rumors over the years that this one was kind of fishy. I don't know if you, have you guys heard those stories, too, that this challenge didn't play out exactly like it was shown on TV? Well, hasn't somebody said that, like, Bobby John gave an interview where, like, like Bobby John's fire was growing higher, but then the producers made them stop and wait for Steph to start her fire or something fishy like that. Yeah, yeah. I, the way I heard was that he he won or was winning, and then she complained that their setup was different and it was unfair, so they had to start it over again or something like that. Yeah, that's that's what I've heard. I've heard that that someone said that you know either he was winning or had won or something, and then she said that he had an unfair setup, so then they ran it again and she won, but. Uh, is that true? Who knows? Again, you'll hear so many stories on stuff like this about Survivor. I've heard enough about this one to know it didn't play out exactly like it was shown on TV. I don't know how fishy it was or if it was rigged for Stephanie or what, but I just know I've heard a lot of people over the years talk about this one just being particularly uh, uh, unrealistic the way they showed it on TV. That's not exactly the way it went down. It seems tough. For this to be for those things, I mean, I'm not saying it's true or untrue, but that it doesn't necessarily pass my test. I mean, I'm not saying that you know Stephanie just went out and just you know crushed Bobby John, but it's like I I don't know. I think that you know this is part of Steph backlash that happens, um, and also just the fact that you know she even mentions you know in the next episode, um, you know as she's all alone that you know Bobby John taught her how to do a fire and then she beats him in this fire challenge and everyone's like, how does that happen? Yeah, I mean it's a good point. This it, it it this one doesn't really pass the sniff test when you watch it. However, it's a better story when Stephanie wins, and I'm all about making the story better. So I'm completely willing to buy it because I I think Stephanie going to the merge is a better story. Yeah, to be fair, if Bobby John had won and he made it to Karor, he would be gone. Yeah, like he had no ties with anybody. It's not like Steph where he had a day one alliance or anything. He was walking in there completely blind, huge physical threat, has a whole story under his belt. He is gone. Yeah, he's gonna he's gonna walk in there. He's gonna throw a stick in the fire, and Tom's gonna kill him. <laughs> he, he walk in and be like, "Hello, everyone on Karor," and they'd be like, "Can you just stand on the beach until next yeah. tribal council?" How do you spell your name? Is it J O N or H N? <laughs> Watch Katie's puppet show. You might be in it. <laughs> yes. I'm just saying. So yeah, so Stephanie wins, and then Probes gives the uh, the inter- interesting final words where he says, "The tribe definitely did not speak tonight." And with that, Bobby John is smuffed. Bobby John is smuffed. And uh, we'll never see him again. Oh, yes. wait. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's an, interesting, an interesting little moment that has never happened in any other Survivor season. It's just one of those standout episodes. Like, like Jay said, it's not the best, but it's, it's a memorable one. When you think of Palau, you always remember this episode. It's just something you've never seen before. Mm-hmm. We, will, we will never see a fire-making tiebreaker again. <laughs> Ever. Or at least, one, at least one that lasts as short as, like, two minutes. <laughs> yes. Not until the glory days of Becky Lee. Oh, God, Becky and Sundra's fire challenge. <laughs> what a train wreck that is. Oh, uh, we're going to matches. <laughs> yeah. One of the few things I want to talk about for we're Cook just, We're just going to give you a lit fire and see... Yeah. Uh... <laughs> and, and it goes out. And you make it go out. <laughs> 
our Cook Islands podcast will just be three hours talking about that challenge. <laughs> uh. All right, and here we go into episode nine with eight Carors left and Stephanie. And it's interesting because in my notes I wrote uh, this is the merge episode, but it's really not if you really pay attention to the season. There is no merge. It, she just becomes Karor. Yeah, Stephanie's basically a POW if we're using the, <laughs> the war analogy here. <laughs> she is. Yeah, it's a, an absorption really more than anything. They absorb Palau, or uh, uh, Oolong. You know, but Jeff does give her, you know, words in the thing. You know, she's just like, well, I'm, it's going to be weird being by myself, but I think I can survive. And you never know what tomorrow brings. And Jeff's like, that's right. You don't know what tomorrow will bring. Yeah. Go back to camp, Stephanie. <laughs> so then she goes by herself. So we have to get the obligatory Stephanie struggles through a day of Survivor. But she does it. She has so much heart. She makes it all on her own. I mean, she, she perseveres. That's right. And at the time, we were like, go, Stephanie. You could do it. Though it's interesting and- to know that she does almost throw out her shoulder here. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say it's no coincidence that she's from Philadelphia and so is Rocky Balboa. And they both have so much heart. Yeah, she has the heart, and she tells us repeatedly that she has so much heart. And we're like, you have so much heart because you told us. But, you know, she tries to go fishing, and she fails, and then she tries to, you know, uh, catch clams, and she fails. And then she's, like, really, like, busting her ass, and she gets, like, one coconut. Yeah, and we just talked uh, in the last episode about, like, interesting, remarkable moments in Survivor history, and this is another one. This is the first time we've ever... You know, before there was Exile Island and all that stuff, and even before we see Janugo there, this is one person living on their own in a survival situation where they have to, you know, get food, get fire, get everything. And uh, she has very realistic fears that, like, she was afraid to go to sleep because the fire would go out and she would have trouble starting it. It's it's weird to examine those those things from the get-go. Uh, you know, obviously back in the day it was all about huge survival aspects, but I feel like we drifted away from that. But this is one where it kind of hits you in the face with reality of like you are all alone and you have to deal with the elements by yourself and it was it was it was in stark contrast again to Karor, which is like eight is enough yeah and it just goes back to the thing that i've been saying ever since the start that i think stephanie deserved every bit of praise and credit that she got for this season i think she's a fantastic character and she has an amazing storyline so you can call her overrated all you want later but in palau i don't think she is at all no, we were all firmly in Steph's camp, and I mean, it, it's not like it's a triumph. I mean, it, it's it's the exact opposite of a triumph to watch Stephanie as the lone member of Oolong. But it's a very nice feeling, you know, because we were rooting for Steph, and she survived this this Oolong. And it's not like we knew. I mean, uh, uh, previews are previews and all that sort of stuff. But it's it's not like it's. Re- I mean, she had to go back to Oolong. It's not like it's readily apparent that she, they're going to merge, even though all logic says yes. But it's like she's trying to survive, and we're with her. And she's like, you know what? This is hard, but I'm not going to give up. And we're like, I'm. We're not giving up on you, Steph. We're with you. <laughs> all right. So let me go over to Karor for a little drama. We need to stir up a little drama. So uh, now that we're going to start the Katie versus Janu fight, it kind of starts right here. Where uh, Janu, we you know we have we forgot that Janu is actually in the game for the last two episodes, so we kind of cut to her laying in the hammock doing nothing, just like Chris Doherty and Vanuatu just sitting there doing nothing in the hammock. And Katie has a confessional where she says that uh, Janu is like is something that starts with a D and ends in ick, the dysfunctional ant that lives in the attic. <laughs> I do love that analogy, too, because she's so out of the picture from an audience perspective. And that's exactly it's like uh, Norman Bates mother almost like everyone's just kind of looking at her through the window of like, who is that? Yeah, Janu absolutely disappears from the season for a while. Now she's kind of reappearing and we're going to have a fight with Katie pretty soon. That's but we're kind of setting it up right here. 
All right, I think this is where we have the uh, merge slash non-merge or absorption. This is where uh, Stephanie gets tree mail and finds out she is going over to Karor. You are becoming one of Karor. And a very touching scene here that I think a lot of people kind of forget where Stephanie breaks down crying. She's like, I'm going to have friends. I'm going to have food. And she's so excited. She's giddy. She's jumping up and down. And we kind of, again, if, if, you're, if you're not, your heart isn't with Stephanie at that moment. I, it, you're, it seems like you're kind of a cold person because she's been through absolutely so much. And she's so excited here. It's kind of a cute little scene. Mm-hmm. And I, I think, again, going back to like, the survival example, this almost seems like rescue for her. Like, this is comparable to a movie like Castaway when a plane flies overhead and rescues her because she's being saved from an absolutely horrible situation. Granted, she's still playing Survivor and is still surviving on the island, but this is like, this is literally a new life for her in the game. Yeah. I mean, she is, she breaks down. I mean, it's a really, it's a really good scene. The music's good, but it's just. She's reading because she finally realizes because she gets a bunch of things in there and one of them is a sealed canister. It says like, don't open, give to Karora. But I mean, that could be give it to them at the challenge. I mean, you know, there's all these sorts of things that are running through her head. But then she opens the note and basically realizes that she has to pack up and go to Karora. And I mean, you could see that she's kind of pre-read it before she says it out loud to the camera. And I mean, the emotion there is real. And I that, that's stuff that I really love when when you just see exactly what what's going on out there. And I mean, she was, she had, she had lived through Oolong. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, the game had broken her down so much that she couldn't be anything but real at this point. She was impossible of putting on airs or playing to the camera. I mean, that's just, she's been, been absolutely devastated by the game of Survivor. So all you see is her most primal uh, emotions coming out at this point. It's kind of interesting just from a psychology point of view. She yeah. says, good. I was just say, I was just say it would have been funny if in that box was the immunity idol with a note that said Karor wins immunity. <laughs> <laughs> That's fantastic. Uh, in in useless stats uh, or or useless facts sort of of sort of department, one of the weird quotes that me and my wife uh, say almost every day or or weekly at least in Survivor, she says it really weird. Is she's packed up all her stuff and she gets on her her raft. She kind of sticks the flag into the, into the outrigger and she says, "See you later, oolong." And she says it in just this weird sort of twang. And it's like my wife and I say that whenever we're like out somewhere in some situation that's like really terrible and we get to leave. Like, you know, you're at some some someone's house or something like that. And you're just like you want to go home or, or, you know, maybe they're at your house and you want them to leave. And they finally leave. You're just like, see you later. Oolong. Who would have guessed that Stephanie would say something in an an annoying twang? Yeah. Who knew? Right. But uh, snap back it. <laughs> she finally says, "See you later, Oolong," and then we go to Karor. Yeah, so she's able to paddle her way across uh, the ocean to Karor Camp, surprisingly without her ass trying to get eat out by pygmies. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. So she goes over there, and she becomes Miss Popular. She comes over there, and everyone loves her. And a great one of my favorite quotes of the season: Kobe says, uh, "Stephanie shows up." Or yeah, Stephanie shows up to camp, and Katie shot up Stephanie's butt the moment she saw her. Everyone's going to kiss Stephanie's butt. Yeah, they get there and they basically realize that, you know, she just, Karor has conquered Oolong. You've added one more. So, you know, again, in, in Survivor Firsts, Karor decimates Oolong. They just basically, put, you know, completely crush another tribe out of the game. And we don't really have a merge. We don't have, this is the only Survivor season where we don't even have three tribes in the whole game. We just had Karor and Oolong. And we just then left or left with Karor. 
Yeah, and Stephanie becomes a very pivotal vote between all these factions vying for power over there. It's kind of an interesting scenario she walks into. And Kobe tells us, he's like, I can't wait to get Stephanie aside. I'm going to pull her aside and tell her all the secrets, and then she's going to know what's up. So a lot of drama is coming down the road. But first, we have to meet Joe the Palauan Fisherman. <laughs> and Edwin. Did they mention Edwin? I didn't catch his name. Yeah, Joe, Joe and Edwin were the two. Are you sure it wasn't Myra, Rupert's daughter? That's probably where I got Mariah from. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, because, you know, Edwin and Mariah sound so close. Who's the Palawan native that Rupert fostered? Oh, Mariah. (laughs) Not good. (laughs) Those Pringle cans, they they even knew trivia from shit that wasn't going to happen yet. (laughs) Yes, Joe, and I guess Edwin, we'll take Mike's word for it. I I didn't catch Edwin's name, I caught Joe. So Joe comes to camp and he shows them how to cut, catch fish in Palau. Which, you know, was just, they're doing like a basic fly fish, which was, you know, take something and get the, the, the little fish and then use the little fish to catch the big fish. But, uh, you know, they got to do so. And we also got sniping at each other. That's always fun. And who would have thought that Tom and Kobe, of all people, would have a showdown? Yeah. They hadn't been setting it up for episode after episode. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> So they fight over who gets to catch bait and who gets to catch fish. And naturally, Tom thinks all the men, like him, should go out and catch fish. Well, Tom, well, Kobe can stay back here and do bait with the girls. And Kobe takes offense to that. Well, it's weird because, like, I think initially, there's, I think there's a little bit of a miscommunication because yeah. I think the fishermen initially say, okay, two of you go out, two of you stay. Kobe volunteers to stay behind, and he says, like, oh, maybe Ian should stay behind as well to kind of work on the knot tying. But then Tom's like, well, can't three of us go? And then Kobe's like, wait, now you've manipulated the situation into having you three guys go, and now I'm back at camp. So I think that was the major gripe with him. Yeah, I totally actually got where Kobe was coming from with this, because you're right, Mike. Like, yeah, they say two and two, because I think they're talking initially to the four men that are doing the small baiting, Kobe and Greg and, and Ian and Tom, right? So then, you know, it seemed to me like the fishermen were saying, like, two of you are going to go out, two of you are going to do bait, and then we might switch or, you know... Maybe they didn't say there was going to be a switch, but yeah, they were like 2-2, two, two, and then Kobe was just trying to like cut the lines down. Then Tom was like, well, can the three of us go out? Yeah, Joe really needs to work on his instructions. That's the, it was really Joe's fault. Joe and Eliza, mostly. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, well, no, but it's one of those strategies where it's, you know, some people do better in things like, you know, fantasy football and stuff because they pull off these ridiculous trades or something. And the answer is, how do they come up with these ridiculous trades? And the answer is, they ask. Right. And so at this point, like Tom was just like, you know, two and two. And then Tom's like, can three. All right. So we go out, they go fishing. Joe catches what, about seven red snappers in a row. It was amazing. Yeah. They come back with like 13 fish. And And a lobster. Yeah. And that's just classic Joe. I mean, that's what Joe does. But Edwin is the one that brings the rum. Oh, you and your Edwin. Uh, I'm an I'm an Edwin shipper. Your team, Edwin. I did Edwin. <laughs> you know, fuck you and Edwin. Oh. <laughs> I hope Edwin's not listening. That would be really amazing if he was, actually. He's going to comment now on POS. His name is just like Edwin the Palauan native. <laughs> team Joe and Team Edwin. This is like the worst Twilight book we've ever read. <laughs> okay, so this is where they go back to camp and uh, they get the coconut filled with rum and Joe and I'm assuming Edwin also... Uh, you know, fills it with rum and they all drink and get smashed and, and Tom gets the most smashed of them all. Yeah, that was like my failed, you know, intro joke. I mean, Tom was sloppy, man. 
<laughs> Even Katie calls him a lightweight. She's like, you think this guy would be able to drink, but he just he's falling over. He's totally plastered. Nobody else is drunk. Well, and he's just like, well, Stephanie, it's, it's good. It's good. You, 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 we need we need new legs. <laughs> yeah, so I'm I'm glad he totally like. You know, when you're inebriated, obviously your decision making is kind of impaired. So I'm I'm very surprised they didn't like pull Stephanie aside. He's like, all right, you and me, final two. Just <laughs> remind me, remind me about this in the morning, so I don't forget. <laughs> and you know, he totally falls off the thing, and they're 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 trying to put Tom to bed. And, you know, he, he's doing that thing where he like is drunk and he falls off, and they're like, dude, buddy, holy crap, you took him. He's like, I'm all right, I'm all right. <laughs> By the way, this uh-huh. is right. Right now we see the uh, difference between Tom and Brian Heideck, where Tom literally gets drunk and passes out, and Brian pretends to be drunk so he can appear human. <laughs> yeah, not a sociopath. Tom, Tom, Tom's a person, but uh, <laughs> yeah, he, he got a little sloppy there. Mm-hmm. I also love how, again, while all nine Karors are sleeping in their big, luxurious shelter, Joe and Edwin are sleeping in the outrigger. <laughs> yes. They're like, these people are crazy. All right, so the next morning, the uh, Palauan guys, Joe and Edwin, take off, and everyone says goodbye, and there's a funny little exchange that I like where Ian's like, that was really cool, and Tom's like, oh, the Palau guys, and Ian's like, no, you're getting drunk last night. Yeah, I love Ian. I think we, I think we missed out on some Ian quips the past few episodes. I do, one little Ian thing that I do love is the fact, like, every time he gets excited, he starts to dance, uh, predating Lydia from Guatemala but it's 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 little Ian moments like this that really make him appreciate make me appreciate him and make me kind of forget about what's going to happen with him the last couple of episodes yeah the story story really turns on Ian and I know that in part (laughs) part three we're going to talk about Ian quite a bit but you are right Mike like Ian is just great every time he has a confessional like it's not like he's ever most of the time he's saying something super profound but he's just so exuberant and, you know, he, he every once in a while t- says something, you know, cutting or something sort of uh, I- I- important. But, I mean, everything he says, you're just like, I like this guy. At least I do, at least. Mm-hmm. All right. So, anyway, now we're to the point where the uh, Kobe versus Tom, uh, Tom and Ian thing is about to come to a head. This is where Kobe decides he's going to make his big power move. He's going to call Stephanie over to tell her all the gossip of what's going on in camp. And he does it very brazenly, just loudly announces while everyone's there hey stephanie why don't you come over here i'd like to have a little chat with you and this is kind of the first uh the first shot fired in the civil war of uh of camp karar here this is where it all kind of starts it's very weird strategically you know not not that i'm a uh you know it's not like at the time i'm I'm some sort of survivor strategy expert but you know i had seen a few seasons of survivor and you know kobe's whole thing because he pulls Stephanie over and he starts dishing dirt and he starts saying, you know, Jen's jealous of you and, you know, all that sort of stuff. And what's funny is that we did get a confessional when Kate, when Stephanie came over from Jen, who was basically like, it's nice that she's here, but she needs to go. Yeah. And, and, and then yeah. you get this thing from Kobe basically saying Jen's jealous of you. And it's like Kobe has a grain of truth in the things he's saying, but he just pulls Stephanie over and starts dishing dirt. And then he's like, all right, I'm done. You can go on your way. And then, you know, immediately, you know, within visual sight of Kobe uh Katie and Jen pull Stephanie over and are like oh my god what did he tell you and she's talking to him and you know Kobe's whole thing is that's fine I got to her first she'll believe what I say because I got to her first and it's like I don't know how that I don't know if that's how that works well that's the thing you're, you're looking at this from a strategy point of view and obviously it's kind of a dicey strategy 
I don't even know if I would look at it as strategy. I just look at it as Kobe's bored. Kobe's been waiting for some drama to happen in camp for a long time, and nothing's happening. He just kind of wants to make it happen, so something happens for a change. He's That's just, how I look he's at just it. stirring the pot here. Yeah, he, I don't yeah. even know if it's strategy so much mm-hmm. as I just want something to happen. We're bored. Yeah, that, that, that could be. Interesting time to get bored right at, right as the merge. <laughs> I think he was bored in episode three. Well, yes, <laughs> but, but you know. It's fun that, you know, I mean, he's been bored at episode three, but Karor hasn't gone to tribal council. But Stephanie's now there. Like, they all know that the next tribal council is individual immunity at this point. Like, now they can all, now they're a threat to go home. Interesting time to get bored. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, yeah. It, I was just saying, it's, it's weird that uh, Kobe also ends up revealing to Steph the whole, like, Greg and Jen plan for the two of them to jump ship and vote off Tom and Ian when Steph is. A little Kobe doesn't know this, but Steph is in a tight alliance with Tom, Ian, and Katie. So I think it's it's very key information that I don't think Stephanie really utilizes later. But it's no. interesting that like the one person that he ends up telling this information to is the one person who has ha- had a final four deal with them since day one. Well, doesn't Kobe say he knows that Stephanie's going to go run and tell it to Tom anyway? So it's it's even more weird that he would ex- give all that information he didn't need to give. Like he knows full well she's going to go talk to Tom now. Yeah. I, yeah. I mean, it, it, you're right. I mean, I guess, I guess the nicest thing to say is, yeah, maybe he was just bored and that was, that was him shaking it up because strategic, strategically, it's just an odd move. It is. No, no, no tact at all. But again, you just can't discount how many people have said that over the years back in Pearl Islands on, uh, on Drake, Marquesas. Like, they, you wait for something to happen and you can't play the game until you go to tribal council. So it's like you just get all this pent up strategy and aggression and stuff that you want to see happen and you can't do it. So I'm sure people just get impulsive after a while if you're not allowed to like get mix up in the social politics stuff. Yeah, I mean, that, that's that's an exercise. I mean, we, we've been looking at Oolong these last few episodes through that, you know, zoo cage of, oh, my God they're down to two people. Oh my God. Now it's just Stephanie. And it's like over at Karor, they've just got this problem where they're like, we can't play. We're literally stuck. We, yeah. we, we're just keeping on winning, but it's like the correct move for Karor was to keep winning. I mean, I, sometimes I think that, you know, throwing a challenge, you know, there, there might be a, a position to do so, but they stuck to their guns. They're like, Nope, we're just gonna, we're gonna keep winning until we go to individual immunity. I think that was the right call. But even though that's the right call, you're just stuck. You're stuck with Karen. You know, you're stuck <laughs> with Janu. You're stuck with these people that probably should have been voted out a while ago, but they're here now and it's it's jury time. Yep. And this is where we come to the first individual immunity challenge. One of my favorites, one I wish they would have every single survivor season. The one that's so simple, the perch. Just stand up there until you can't stand up there anymore. And I think this is the last time we see the perch too, if I recall. Really? They never did it after this? I'm trying to remember. I mean, I don't think they've done it without other... Ver- like, the final immunity challenge in Cook Islands was a, a version of the purge, but it was, had stages to it where it was like, it made it difficult. It wasn't just stand somewhere, which is like, you know, you're not feeling any sort of physical pain, but it's more about the temptations. I think this is the last time that they really do that type of challenge, aside from like the hold your arm above a, yeah. above your head to do the bucket, but that's that's uncomfortable, and this really isn't. If this yeah. was really the last time they did that, that sucks. This was a survivor tradition. I love this challenge. Yeah, I think I think Mike's right. You know, they they have versions of the perch, which is stand on something, but they it gets progressively smaller, or it is you know progressively more uncomfortable, or they have weird situations. But I mean, in this one, it's not a log, but it's a it, it, it's almost like a like a stool in a way in the water. But I mean, it's 
it's wide enough. I mean, you know, it's not like they're on like some super, super narrow piece of wood or something. They're, they're on a, a something that, that is supporting, you know, most of their feet, but they just have to stand up there until they come down. I would actually posit, and we'll talk about this later with the final immunity challenge. I would say Palau killed the endurance challenges for survivor. Because if you look, all the challenges in terms of endurance after this, either they, A, they don't exist too much, or B, they're so convoluted of like, hold your hands above your head while you're hanging on to this, and every 45 minutes, the angle will be turned, and you'll be <laughs> leaning farther out. Like they, This is the last season where they really do the just stand somewhere, hold on to something for as long as you can. Yeah, yeah. and to be fair... I mean, the last pull-out challenge is the mother of all endurance challenges. So. Ah, the yeah. buoy. We'll get You're never going to top that one. No, you really aren't. But, uh, yeah, with this one, they get up there, and uh, immediately Janu looks uh, uncomfortable. But uh, they're up there, and then Jeff Probst's super dick moment. I mean, he's just he's got a lounge chair, and he's just like, I'm going to pull up my feet, which is cool, by the way. And they're by like that. I mean, I don't know if that's a set piece or if they actually found that thing, just like let thing look like an AA gun just standing there. Uh, in the background, it's a cool little setup for that, for that area. And then they bring out some authentic Palau donuts. <laughs> that are actually balut. Yeah, they were baked by Joe and Edwin that morning. <laughs> Balut donuts. <laughs> so yes, the donuts come out, and Kobe jumps immediately, and so does Janu. So Kobe's yeah. master plan goes down in flames because of donuts. Uh, Kobe's very, he's comparable to Homer Simpson. <laughs> Kobe with the uh, Jeff Varner uh, takeover strategy right there. Exactly. Plan your whole takeover and then jump immediately for food. Yeah, yeah. Co- Kobe and Janu jump in for the donuts, and then you know what? A couple hours later, he comes out with a plate of chocolate chip cookies and and, and milk, and then like almost the rest of them jump in. Yeah, everybody but Tom, Karen, and Stephanie jumps in, and that's after Ian has promised to strip if there was chocolate and peanut butter. Yeah, there was a great there's a great Ian moment where you know he jokes about he'll he'll take his clothes off for chocolate and peanut butter, and Jeff quips like, "Up, oh, nobody wants to see that, Ian." <laughs> You're not getting a Playboy deal out of this, Ian, so so just can it. You ain't lying. You ain't lying. Come on. Okay. Yeah, so then we get to the very end of the Perch Challenge where it's just Stephanie, uh, Karen, and Tom, and this is where Jeff brings out the giant pizza, which if there's one thing we know Stephanie likes, it's pizza. <laughs> <laughs> which I remember very distinctly at the time because I was so pro-Stephanie. She jumped in for the pizza, and I just remember being crushed. Yeah. I just remember like, going like, why are you jumping in, Stephanie? Where's your heart? You said you'd never give up. You gave up for pizza. Because I thought she was in trouble. I mean, yeah, I, I thought she was in super trouble and she needed to win immunity. And I believed in Stephanie. I believed she could win immunity, you know, and, and especially this endurance. She had heart. I mean, I, I wasn't saying, oh, she's got heart, but I'm like, she could win this. Yeah. You know, she's determined. She's gone through hell. And then they get the pizza and she jumps in. And I just remember the whole time going like, what? Yeah, it kind of ruins the infallible Stephanie with heart storyline. Mm-hmm. But it's part of a Jeff Probst dick moment where he's like, okay, if nobody jumps in in five seconds, I give the pizza to everybody else. Yes. So anyway, yeah, Steph and Karen jump in. Tom wins immunity, and that's it. That's, uh, we're going to tribal council. This is the one where they have to go to tribal council right away, right? Yeah, that's the first time that's ever happened. No discussion. We're going right to tribal council. So they go, and this is where Kobe's master plan was foiled by Donuts, where he's voted off, and... And Tom and Ian once again rule the day. Mm-hmm. But this is also, we get interesting sound bites from Janu 
where, again, we haven't really seen Janine this episode, and she comes out of nowhere to say, oh, I think it's me tonight. <laughs> yeah, thanks. This really did seem like a Janu episode. Right. Yeah, exactly. And we as the audience are like, it's not you, Janu, because we barely know you're there. <laughs> yes. It's like the opposite of the Gretchen moment. Oh, my God, it's me. Like Janu says it and like, we're, no, it's not. Oh, my God, it's not you. <laughs> yeah, oh, my God, it's not you. Oh, my God, who are you? <laughs> so That's anyway, it. yes, Kobe is voted out and, and he takes it as a compliment. He goes, this was a great compliment. Thank you, guys. And then he goes into his final words and he says the same thing over and over about four more times. What a wonderful compliment. You guys complimented me. That was so nice. Yeah, yeah. So when, I, when I first saw that, I thought, he was, I thought he was being super sarcastic, but I guess he wasn't. <laughs> I don't. Yeah, Kobe had his own little narrative, it seems, at certain times. It didn't really fit with the rest of the season. Although, in truth, he is right. They voted him out for being a threat. So if you want to look at it for being a compliment, go ahead. I'm sure most people that are voted out don't look at it that way and aren't all super nice about it. But yeah, that's how Kobe looked at it. And, you know, more power to him. But you have to praise the alliance of, of uh, Tom and, and Ian and Katie because I think that they do address things pretty correctly if you're looking uh, from a strategic side in that you know, they, they see Kobe as – I mean I think that they did see Kobe as you know, a smart threat, right? He didn't have a lot of you know, pieces on his side at the moment. Like he had theoretical pieces, what Greg and Jen – I'm not saying that they totally knew that. But they knew that you know, Kobe couldn't be tamed. And he was not going to sort of go with them. And they were like, well, we'll address this threat first. And then we will get Greg. You know, I mean, I think that they, they took each threat sort of as it, as it went, right? And so they were like, well, we can cut Kobe out now. And they did. You know what I mean? So, so praise them for that, at least. Yep. And so that ends the story of Kobe, who becomes the first juror and is one of the more colorful characters in Palau. Although he really alternate, uh, ultimately doesn't really affect much. He's kind of a mid level character like James in the long run, unfortunately. Right. I mean, you're right there. But, you know, he's one where, you know, you you could see the strategy wheels turning with him. It's not like he was just a whatever character like Ibrahim. Like, he had he had some legs to him, but just, you know, steamrolled by the Tommy, Tom, Ian, Katie uh, alliance. Just couldn't couldn't quite get it going on his side. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm sure Kobe would have loved if you told him that Katie steamrolled him in Survivor. Yeah, puke, puke, puke. <laughs> puke, puke, puke. Also, if, you're, if your main alliance partner is Janu, you have problems. <laughs> yeah, you don't have a leg to stand on there. All right, and that's uh, about as far as we're going to go on this uh, episode of Survivor Historians. We had some technical difficulties as we went into episode 10, the Janu episode. So we're going to stop right there with the Kobe episode. I think we did pretty good. I think we got what through five episodes, I think. Is that how far we got? We did. We zoomed mm-hmm. through it. Yeah, and the, the internet just the internet quit on us just like Janu did. <laughs> no spoilers. Oh darn it! <laughs> Remember, we haven't talked about that yet. Yeah, don't don't spoil a ten year old show, Mike. God, yeah. where is your class? You're the Edwin to J and I's Joe. I'm um, totally. I'm I'm still Team Edwin all the way. <laughs> all right, you would be. All right, so anyway, that's the end of uh, this episode of Survivor Historians, and uh, we will be back. Maybe next week, maybe the week after, but hopefully soon with part three where we will wrap up uh, this uh, fantastic season and we will get to the, again, the absolutely fascinating Tom, Ian, Katie uh, storyline at the end, which nothing like that has ever happened in Survivor again. So we will get to that soon. And uh, do you guys have anything else to say before we wrap up? No. The Karen Just want to put in there that Karen sucks. Just wanted to throw that out there so everyone remembers. All right. That was for you, Katie. 
So anyway, yeah, thanks for listening to Survivor Historians. As always, I'm Mario Lanza. I'm Jay Fisher. And I'm Mike Bloom. And until next week, snack rackets. All right, ready? Which Survivor Pearl Islands castaway has a daughter named Raya? River. River. Yes.